Bring it in. Read Option Podcast back after an exhilarating college football championship weekend, a less than exhilarating NFL weekend, uh, and a whole lot of opinions to be shared on this episode of the podcast. We have the whole crew, Scotty and Vito, as well as myself. Boys, how are we? Vito literally just got off the plane from San Diego. Rolling in, hopping right on the podcast, fired up and ready to go. So it's good to see you boys. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, woke up San Diego, flight 7 a.m. Been drinking all day on the planes, as one does. Love uh, that. Landed at seven, or like 6.30 here, back at 7. We were on and ready to roll, dude. You just uh, get used to it a little bit. But yeah, definitely, Um, I was telling these guys all day. I was just consuming media about... The college football playoff, formulating my own opinions, changing my opinions a little bit, right? You got to be able to do that, but formulating what I really think and then uh, also having a lot of Woodford. So a really good day, (laughs) got to say, got to say. All things considered, there's worse ways to spend your days. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I've had way worse Mondays. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like all of them. I would agree. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Pretty much every Monday is worse than that. Uh, Scotty, how are you doing, buddy? I'm great, bud. Yeah, I know you are. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good weekend of football, man. Good weekend of football. Um, a lot of fun watching college for the most part. Had a my my wife's company holiday party, which is always a banger. Um, and then uh that wrapped Saturday, and then I woke up Sunday and watched the uh the bowl selection and the uh and uh the NFL slate because I had already gone to church in the morning uh, on Saturday afternoon. So we're good to go. Sunday's freed up. Let's ride, buddy. And I told you this is one of my favorite weekends of the year where we watch all that football on Saturday, learn what it means for the college football landscape on Sunday, and then roll right into the NFL. Like, <laughs> duh. How is that not perfect? Yeah. No, I uh it, it was definitely one of those days. It's uh it was sounds like it was a great day for you. Um you were right oh, on you you were right on multiple accounts and your and your team had a de- decisive victory and we we will get into the NFL stuff in the back half of the show here uh it was a, it was an interesting weekend so like one of my best friends from college came down uh saw him hung out Friday night vibes were great uh woke up Saturday morning sent my boy Andrew off to go see his Florida State Seminoles play in the ACC championship game we had a full slate of college conf- uh, conference championship games going on. Uh, a great SEC championship game between Alabama and Georgia. Uh, that was kind of it. Well, Friday night was awesome, too. We should give a shout out to Oregon and Washington, who played a phenomenal Pac-12 chop- championship game. I think yeah. they've been the best uh, conference. I've, I've been a sneaky, like, Pac-12 has been my favorite conference guy for the last, like, three or four years. Um, you know, we had... Ryan Leaf on this podcast a couple uh, about a year and a half ago, and and Leafy talked about like I remember talking to him about the idea of parity, right? Like we always love everyone talks about how much better the SEC is than everyone else, and I'm like, I don't know, like the top end of the SEC is awesome, the top end of the Big Ten's awesome, but then everything else after that is shit, you know, or everything in the Big Ten West is shit, you know. People let's, are saying. You know, allegedly, and, and we'll get into that. But then the Pac-12 is just this this conference of parody in terms of like it is Pac-12 after dark for a reason. It's always the most entertaining product when it comes to college football. 
uh, throughout the entire regular season. And I'm so glad that this year they had two legitimate national title contenders uh, between Oregon and Washington. And Washington did their business. They took care of business in the Pac-12 championship game, punched their ticket undefeated. They beat Oregon twice despite being 10-point underdogs. And I'll tell you what, they won that game like decisively. Like Oregon made their comeback but that whole game, I, I it felt like watching it that like Washington is the better football team. And no matter what happens, they were going to co- – I, I had a feeling no matter what happened, Washington was going to end up on top, and that's exactly what happened. So great games there. Saturday, the conference championships, eh, a little bit up and down. Oklahoma State got absolutely destroyed by Texas. Texas proved why they should be a playoff team. They obviously end up making it. Uh, and then you look at the pack. The, the Big Ten championship was awful. I'm sorry, boys. It was terrible. It was Iowa. Terrible. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's the reason why the stupid archaic rule with having the the divisional uh, opponents play each other. It, it's so dumb because this well, should have been away. a Michigan Ohio yeah. State rematch, yep. and it should have helped yep. decide what the the playoff landscape looked like. Not a 26 nothing drub by uh, by Michigan. But what it did create is one of the best stats I've ever seen. Mm. which is that Iowa has over a thousand more punt yards than offensive yards this year. You stole the, I was going to say that I was saving oh. that. That's such a great stat. Incredible. In- like honestly, incredible. And uh, one of the That's- most ridiculous things you'll ever hear in all of sports. Yeah. It's, it's one of the best. Uh, it's the most Iowa stat of all time. Like if you just said that a team in college football had that statistic, you could pick any year too, not just this year, just any year. I would it would be Iowa, even on Iowa's best years, like this year where they were in the Big Ten championship. Hundred percent, that's just Iowa all the way through. Uh, the the ending of Brian Ferentz there as the offensive coordinator too. Um, yeah, I mean I don't know what Iowa's ever going to do, but we're not here to talk about Iowa. Uh, Michigan punches their ticket; they're thirteen and zero. Texas punched their ticket. Washington punches their ticket, right? And then that sets up this this fourth spot. And it's coming down to basically three potential teams as we get to, the, you know, Saturday afternoon. And it's going to be the winner. Either Georgia wins and Georgia's undefeated. Georgia, I mean, I guess at that point, too, Texas wasn't fully in. But still, right. no, those I, last I have some things spots, to say about Texas. Yeah, Georgia, Alabama, Texas, Florida State, those are the teams we're looking at to fill the last two spots. Because I think everyone going into it, we all pretty much knew that Michigan was going to win that game. They were going to punch their ticket. They were going to get in. Those last four teams for those last two spots, we have a great SEC championship game. Um, It was interesting. It felt like Kirby knew kind of what we've all known all year, which is Georgia's really, really good. But they're not Georgia of the last two years. It's it's you don't have a guy that you trust like Stetson Bennett to run that offense. Uh, Brock Bowers comes back early to play in this game. Made a couple of big plays, but it did feel like they were like, oh, we have Brock Bowers back. We have the sh- the shiny toy back. Let's make sure we play with that as much as possible. And kind of neglected the rest of the offense. Whereas I thought Alabama came in with a really really solid game plan. Played fantastic defensively as that team has has really grown on the defensive side of the ball throughout the season. And Jalen Milrose, I think, is is the biggest part of what Alabama's been doing. You know, we look at those first four games, that game against Texas, where it's like, who's going to play quarterback? Is it going to be Tyler Buckner? Is it, you know, who is it going to be? Jalen Milrose ends up winning out and 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 getting that job. 
And he has gotten such significantly better year, a, a game after game throughout the season. He played really smart football. He took care of the ball when he needed to. Obviously, he's a physical specimen. So anything he can do with his legs, athleticism, I was really impressed with what we saw out of Alabama in that game. They beat Georgia to then essentially create this big question mark, which is, all right, we have two teams we know are going to be in going into the ACC championship game at night. The, the, the big question is what? does the committee do when it comes to Florida State? Florida State shows out, and I'll be the first one to say, that game was not the best football game we've ever seen between Florida State and Louisville. It wasn't the most entertaining game we've ever seen. But what it was, was a really impressive performance from a team that is immensely talented on both sides of the ball, Mm -hmm. given the circumstances. They have their backup quarterback who's been injured almost the entire season. No one knew if Brock Lund was going to be able to play in this game. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's dressed up. He's your starting quarterback playing with a leg brace on. And I'm sorry, like they won that game decisively, similar to the Washington game. Like watching that game, Florida State was going to win that game the entire time because in the last three games, Florida State's defense has given up one touchdown. And that's against an SEC team in Florida. That's against Louisville. And the week the week before, I understand they were playing a group of five team. But that defense has been balling out. And they showed out. And they they played like men possessed. Jared Verse is he's going to be a top fifteen pick for a reason because that dude is a fucking stud. He yeah. was balling out. That whole defensive line was balling out. Louisville was not winning that game. I don't care what anybody said. There was not a world. And Louisville's a good football team, right? They're not quite great, but they're a very very good football team. They beat the doors off of Notre Dame. Florida Florida State finds a way to win that game. They close it off on the last possession from Florida State or from uh, Louisville. And that's your ball game, right? And so now we have undefeated Florida State, one loss conference champion Alabama, one loss conference loser Georgia, and one loss conference champion in Texas, and two spots for those four teams. At this point, you all know, and I'm just recapping here so we can set the stage for the conversation we're about to have, the committee picks Texas and Oklahoma with Florida State as the five seed and Georgia. Sorry, No, Florida State as the five seed. And right. Georgia, as Texas and Oklahoma. Oh, sorry. Texas, Texas and Alabama. Alabama. Yeah. Sorry. Force a habit whenever you say Texas and Oklahoma. Fair enough. Um, so Texas and Alabama round out your top four. Um, and look, a lot of people had a lot of opinions on it. And we we had probably the most contentious debate in our group chat this weekend multiple times, uh, whether it was the Eagles and Niners game uh, or Saturday night about what the committee was going to do, what we thought was going, going to be the correct decision to do this. And I will lead with this, and then I'll let you boys kind of throw in your thoughts as we start to have this conversation. To me, at the end of, at, at the end of all of this, and this is the same thing I said to Scotty on Friday's pod, winning games has to matter. It just, it just does. And, I understand, and I'll be the first one to say that if you ask me for, in my opinion, Jeff, rank the top four teams in college football, it would look very similar to what the what the committee ended up picking. It'd probably be in a slightly different order. I might even consider putting Georgia into there. But based off of the resumes, based off of what we've been given, you know, what we've seen to this point, I can project whatever I think, whatever my opinion is, my opinion is oftentimes wrong, as we know on this podcast. All of our opinions are wrong. All we can base this off of is what we've seen. And for the committee to leave out Florida State as an undefeated Power 5 team 
is wrong. It's not, it's not the correct decision. I might agree in my opinion of what I think the four best teams are, but we are wrong all the time in college football. And to me, the decision to do this is, and the thing that sucks the most about this is there is no repercussion. There is no new precedent being set because as we move forward, the 12 team playoff, this decision doesn't mean anything. It's not going to affect anything down the line. So the committee was basically given a free pass to put whoever the fuck they wanted to into this college football playoff and to, Mm -hmm. to hold the injury to Jordan Travis and to put the weight all of that onto a kid like Jordan Travis, who has been nothing but a rock star in the college football world, done everything the right way, is a damn good football player, but wasn't a Heisman candidate, did not have this unbelievable, you know, it's not like Jaden Daniels, it's not like Bo Nix, it's not like Michael Penix, it's not like the guys who were just named as Heisman finalists, which we'll get to in a second. It's, it's, he was a good quarterback. He was an experienced quarterback. He was a great leader. And this team was winning games despite them. They have one of the best four, if not top two or three defenses in college football. They deserve to be there. And by everything we've seen, they are one of the four best teams in college football based off of what we've seen. But right now, they're out They're They're, they're fucked. They're fucked. And for every Florida state fan out there, for everyone who hates this decision, I'm like, we're all in the same boat. We can't believe that this is the outcome that we've been given. But this is where we're at, and we're going to have an awesome playoff. The four teams that are there are all fucking awesome teams, and it's going to be a really, really fun final. But it fucking sucked for Florida State, and I think the committee, what the committee did was undeniably wrong. Um, and that's my two cents for right now, but I want to give you guys a chance to dive in so we can attack this thing as a group. So, uh, Vito, I know you're chomping at the bits, buddy, and I know you're on my side here with this, but I want to I want Scotty to go first because between the three of us, Vito and I agree, and Scotty's kind of the dissenting opinion here. So I, Scotty, I'm gonna give you the floor and then Vito, you go after that and we'll 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 rip it from there. Sure. Yeah, I said it on Friday's podcast, right? Does the committee want the best four or do they want the four most deserving? I don't care which one you want, take your pick of your semantic language difference, but be consistent at least about that okay you don't have to be consistent in how you rank them be consistent about which of the four or which formula you're going to choose to make your decisions that's the preface now i'm going to make this real simple does florida state on a neutral field right now beat uh michigan no we don't know florida state on does florida state on a neutral field right now beat washington no, we don't know. Does Florida State right now on a neutral field beat Texas. No. We don't know. Does Florida State right now on a neutral field beat Alabama? No. We don't. Do they know. beat Georgia? We'll find out because they're playing each other in the Orange Bowl. Something that mm. probably will be diminished because most players will be not playing in that game because none of those bowl games typically matter as much anymore, um, as it would have fit if it were a playoff matchup. I don't see a world where they beat any of those teams, not a single one. And that has to be the deciding factor. One of the deciding factors for the committee Two, Florida state's best wins were LSU at the beginning of the year, who don't give me the argument that at the time they were a number five team. Guess what? They're number 13. At the end of the day, they're the Why 13th best matter? team in the country. Their other best win was Clemson. Who's a ranked 22. Now BFD. That's not a, a resume suitable for a, a one-loss Alabama who lost to Texas justifies them getting into the playoff. Both of them. Makes sense because those resumes were harder. 
I'm telling you right now, that's the reason that the committee decided upon that. And, and that's, that's how it is. And that's how it was. And the, the difference being, if you and Vito, I know you're going to talk about some of this BCS stuff. I guarantee you, you put all those numbers into a computer, it spits out Florida State as your number one team in the country. No questions asked. None. Uh, and that's the problem to me. Because where, when we talk about how uh, the, the committee had no human element, had no human decision making, it was just data spit into a computer and it came out with the, with the top two teams in the country. Great. That makes sense. A computer is pretty consistent with its formulaic model. But when you introduce humans into it and then you say, well, but they're 13 and 0, uh, I, I don't know if they're the best, one of the best four, which I tend to agree with, by the way, on the field. It, it's That's the inconsistency I was talking about on Friday. So I'm going to kick it to you, Vito. I've said my piece about Florida State. I think the committee got it right in this case. It sucks that they're, they aren't there. Because being 13-0 is very, very hard to do in college football, no matter how you slice it. But And it sucks that they're not there. It sucks for Florida State's fans. I, I get it. Next year, it's all going to be resolved. So uh, to me, I'm not going to beat the dead horse anymore. Vito, I'll kick it to you because you got some interesting data and numbers you want to to present too. Yeah, so this is um, this is, was actually really tough for me. This is one of the hardest moments of my, like, f- as a sports fan in the last few years um i took this one pretty hard and i think so again you, you, and and you got to remove your immediate reaction right you got to start like develop, again i i took a i feel like enough time to formulate a real opinion and what that is is that yes florida state was snubbed but i want to zoom out and look at this as in the last literally 40 years okay so we had the ap poll and that determined at the end of the day who won the the national championship and there were arguments before because some undefeated te- there were multiple sometimes three four undefeated teams they necessarily didn't always play in the same bowl games it, they and state voted. like four times in the seventies got stopped yeah. yeah so that that happens right that's everywhere across football but you have people who claim national championships like Auburn by the way has a national championship that has three losses somehow where there was an undefeated team like right this happened back in history like people claimed national titles. Then we got to BCS because we won the best two games that just you entered in and it really went by strength of record, right? Took into account strength of schedule and then your performance and all of that. Now, if you rerun it today, what that shows is that, um, you know, it's Michigan, Washington, then Florida state would be three. So they would have been left out if we were in the BCS era. Okay. Just, I want to set the stage behind them would have been Alabama or no, Texas, and then Alabama would be behind them, which is interesting. Or I'm sorry, Alabama, then Texas behind them. Uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. So it would be the three undefeated teams, Alabama at number four, and Texas at number five. That's what BCS would do. And why this matters is because the whole point of the reason we went from BCS to a playoff is to say, hey, that doesn't make sense. Alabama beat Texas, or I'm sorry, Texas beat Alabama. I keep flip-flopping, I'm sorry. Texas beat Alabama. They should be in over Alabama, right? That's what people were upset about before. Like, how does the team that has the head-to-head win, how does that not matter more in a computer? That's why we need to go to human beings. So we go to human beings, and I think for a while here, it's worked out pretty damn good until the last year it had, and Jeff, to your point, everything's open now. But what they did was go ahead and look at everything. Florida State was four last week. They beat a damn good team. Defense looked incredible. 
it dropped them three spots and uh, or two spots. And, and what I think is a little bit crazy about this is that, again, you look at why the committee was created. It was because of the one loss teams that were had like kind of similar, but maybe one had a head to head win. Maybe we knew someone was a little better in, in the you know later run of the season, but it was never to jump. Too. It was never to jump an undefeated team. And what's difficult about this is this is the first power five division, like power five conference champion that was undefeated in the playoff era that was left out. And they left them out for two teams that had a loss. And I think just as we stand again, this may be a little bit outside of, again, are they the best team? If you want to say the best teams, I have arguments to make that Georgia should be in even maybe Ohio state should be in mm-hmm. and it would just be an sec Agreed. big 10. No, I'm serious. So like that, no, the, I agree the with best you. is a whole different argument. But when I say this, I believe that as a whole society that we were in agreement that like a team like Florida state should go in and it shouldn't be a conversation. And the committee was to evaluate teams that would be in the three and four spots or four spot. Right. Uh, I didn't think we'd ever get to this and I'm really disappointed in what they chose. It's their decision. I'm not on the committee, but like, I I feel for Florida state fans. I think this was an absolute miss. Um, If you want the four best teams again, I don't even think two of them in the top four that they ranked or top four teams. I would put Georgia in and I would put Ohio state in Um, maybe I would put Bama in, but it wouldn't be Texas. And I, I just think that when we look at all of this, we're so recency bias. If this happened in any other sport, it's a travesty. I'm glad they're going away from it. Um, but this was in the first year, I feel like they made decisions like this. And they basically said an injury is more important than a loss. And that's what it boiled down to for Florida State. That your injury was more significant than a loss. Which to me is just a travesty because we are focused so much on one player. It's quarterback. I get it. This is a team sport more than any and the other 21 starters and the special team players and the rotation guys, they deserve better than this from the committee. I wonder how many of these guys played football. I really do. Yeah. Look, I, I agree with everything you said, Vito um, wholeheartedly. And I, I think, I think, and I was having this conversation with, with my buddy Andrew today, who again, understandably is, is inconsolably upset. Um, Poor dude was like rewatching the ACC championship last night because he couldn't go to sleep because he was literally so upset and bothered. Now we can talk about extreme fandom and everything else like that. that, That's what we do here, right? That's, that's what we are as fans. It's, it's short for fanatics for a reason because it's irrational by nature. Um, There's a lot of arguments to be made. There are in, in a bunch of different avenues, spots. And at the same time, I understand your point, Scotty. Like, I, I do. I, I understand saying, like, what my opinion of the four best teams are match up with what the four best teams that are in the college football playoff are. They do. Uh, to me, Michigan shouldn't be the number one team in the country. Michigan's offense has looked terrible for three straight weeks. Michigan barely snuck by Ohio State. J.J. McCarthy has been besides himself, and they played like shit against Iowa in the Big Ten Championship. They're the number one team in the country. You can if, if you just put the blank stats up there, right, and, and the blank arguments to be made, 
the Florida State last three games without Jordan Travis and Michigan the last three games line up almost identical with the only difference being obviously Michigan has the huge win against Ohio State versus, you know, Florida State's big win in rivalry week was against Florida, which is not as good of an opponent. I totally understand that. But you could make the same case that people are making about Florida State for Michigan. And yet Michigan was a consensus number one team in the country. Oh, yeah. And they spent the last half, how many years cheating? They got punished for cheating and we're rewarding them with the number one team in the country. No questions asked, despite the fact that there are plenty of questions. Why did we reward them? Because they went undefeated and they won their conference championship. Despite the fact that I could make just as a convincing argument that Michigan should be the fourth team in the college football playoff, just like I'm trying to make the argument that Florida State should have been the fourth team in the college football playoff. I, to me, there, there are so many different levels to this and scotty i know i know you said right who do we but you i have to collect i have to correct you on one thing right you said would florida state win against michigan on a on a, on a neutral field you said no the answer is uh, we don't know you don't we, but that's we what, part of what know. the committee it's, is trying is ranking i on. understand but they're not going off of vegas lines they're not going yeah. off of anything else because if that was the case then why did we even have the conference championship weekend right because oregon was a 10-point favorite over washington oregon would have been a favorite over every team in the country not named georgia georgia would have been favored in every single game that they played both of those two teams are sitting on the outside looking in because they lost in an opportunity to put themselves in the college football playoff and florida state didn't florida state won every single game despite everything that was thrown at them you mentioned the LSU thing. I don't care where LSU was ranked. Jaden Daniels is going to win the Heisman. The only mm -hmm. team that shut down Jaden Daniels this entire season was Florida State. The only team. And their Florida State so good. whooped their ass. They didn't score a point in the second half of that game. And I know it was early in the season. and People are going to try to make excuses for it. The fact of the matter is, how many times can you say that about a guy who's going to win the Heisman that a defense shut that dude out over an entire half of football? Like, I, we can sit here and make a million arguments about it. And ultimately, what the committee did is that they did what they wanted to do. You can, we, I, I talked about this with Andrew today. You can go through, and as, as the difference from like 40 years ago to when you were saying Vito, or even 20 years ago, right, to the BCS mm -hmm. era when that started, fans didn't have access to information or statistics, right? We had base level stuff, but we didn't have the knowledge or understanding that fans do now. Fans have such a bigger grasp over everything that's going on. And, and there are so many advanced analytics. There are so many statistics out there that you can make an argument for any of these teams that were finishing the top six to be a top four team. But the problem is, is we overthink this shit to such an extreme degree that we look over the most important thing, right? The thing that Jalen Hurts says every single week, right? The, the, keep winning the main thing. The main thing is the main thing. Did you win the game or did you lose the game? Like nothing else matters over that. Whatever projections we have about what we think the ACC is versus the Big Ten versus the Pac-12 or the Big 12 or the ACC, I'm sorry, the ACC was a better conference this year than the Big 12. You can make an argument that the ACC was a better conference this year than the Big Ten. Outside of the top three teams in the Big Ten, who is good in the Big Ten? There's nobody. It's Ohio State, it's Michigan, and it's Penn State. And I'm sorry, boys, but you guys know this. Penn State is a full class below Everything in the Big Ten West this year was shit. Every and, and anyone not named Penn State, Ohio State, or Michigan in the Big Ten East was also shit. 
right? I can make the same case for for the ACC, but the difference is our biases as human, right? And that is where the human element getting put into this makes things tricky. But to your point, Vito, about historically with the, the BCS model, it never made sense if there was a head-to-head team, but the BCS model picked the team that won. So, like, all right, well, we need a certain element of common sense, right? We need common sense to go over this. But what the committee has turned into is not common sense. It's turned into an overthinking mishmash of bullshit to put the teams that our biases tell us are the best teams, which are the SEC teams and the Big Ten teams, and everything else is an afterthought. And I'm sorry, on paper, that is just not true. It's not. Especially and we can, this year. And we can sit here and say, well, the ACC is terrible and Florida State – we we don't know. We're surprised every single year, even before people stop, started leaving early, right, to go to the NFL draft. Every single year during bowl season, we were wrong, and people were wrong constantly about, well, this conference won the most bowl, bowl games, right? It's it's not always the SEC wins the most bowl games. It's not always the, the ACC or the Pac-12 or anything. It changes year after year. But we have these biases in our heads. So what went from, hey, let's add the human element to eliminate common sense has turned into something where now we overthink this shit so much because of the access of information that we have. And people who, to your point again, Vito, about how many of these people actually played football, go listen to the rant that Mike Leach went on three year, or five years ago when he was at Washington State, right? When they had their run with Gardner Minshew. Right. He went on a whole rant about how ridiculous this whole concept of a committee is and how a a significant amount of the people on there are either athletic directors who, by the way, have a massive like vested interest in what happens in all of this. ESPN is the only broadcast partner for this. They put on their whole show. You don't think that there's a little like I don't like to think this way because it sounds so conspiracy theory based. Yeah. (laughs) But the implicit bias that humans have because we are humans, it's impossible to fully eliminate. It really, really is. I, I I try to be unbiased when we talk about the Eagles, right? I also don't have a financial vested interest in whether the Eagles lose or not. That's just me being a fan. Oh, I do. Everyone involved. But every single person in that committee has a vested interest one way or another in the success of college football and in the success of certain teams and certain programs. And Nick Saban being the best coach in college football history and dominating the way that he has, if, if the roles were reversed – and we're talking about like FSU beating Clemson, you know, during like peak Clemson era versus, right. you know, Alabama. Think about the laughing stock that this would be. I mean, and well, we also, saw it. We I saw think it that's with a Ohio huge State. Point. Ohio State a, was that exact same thing. It's just the, such bullshit. I think the main point you just made is huge where everyone's like, well, the ACC wasn't that great. I heard that a lot today. Well, the ACC is only, it was never good when Clemson was dominating. If this team with this exact, exact resume, was wearing Clemson colors. Mm-hmm. I think this team gets in. I really mm-hmm. do, and that's that's a bummer, man. That's just I a mean, you want a bummer. You want to go full blown conspiracy? How about putting Alabama at the four so they can just dominate Michigan and get rid of all this cheating bullshit? Be the saviors for college football against the cheaters <laughs> in Michigan. How about that? And so like, I, look- I do have one other thing I really do want to say, which I do love. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's where I got today because I st- again last night was really yesterday was really low for me. Little better today. And then where I got to is this. If Florida State beats Georgia, I hope they claim a national title and I will respect that national title for the rest of my life. If they beat Georgia in their game, I will consider Florida State a co-national championship, no co-national champion for the rest of my life. I hope they recognize it as well. They should drop a fucking banner. 
it's a tall test. Like if they beat Georgia, who I still think could be the best team in the country, I think that they should claim a national title. Especially, especially if Alabama wins and beats Michigan. And if Texas wins and beats Washington, there'd be no other undefeated team in the country. If you were undefeated and you win your conference championship and then you beat Georgia, I'm the last two national titles. I'm calling you a champion and I'll still give it to whoever wins the playoff, but I'm considering them a champion and I'm happy for them. And again, people back in the day, uh, an AP and even Auburn, the one year they were left out of BCS, right. They both claim like they, they are both uh, before that. In that one specific example, in my eyes are national champions as well, or co that's what the playoff was supposed to eliminate all the national champion. If there's three undefeated, we get to see them all. If they can't, they both get to claim it. And I would love, love to see Florida State drop a banner after they beat Georgia. I don't care who's sitting out. I don't give a fuck about any of that. As long as that team wins, that team is a national champion in my eyes. Yeah, no, I and you know what's interesting, Vito, is like I actually don't think that's a terrible case. Like I, I really don't. Like no. I, I'm kind of anti-claiming national championships as a whole, like, but just in practice. But the most recent one is UCF, right? So, like, we kind of throw the UCF one aside because, yeah. like, that that's a whole different can of worms, right? Is, is Liberty going to try to claim a national championship? No, definitely not when they get their fucking doors shoved in. Bo Nix can, uh, confirmed he's going to be playing in that game against uh, Liberty, and I cannot wait. Uh, Liberty yeah. <laughs> had the single worst out of 134 teams at the 134th ranked strength of schedule in the country they did not play fucking anybody so i cannot wait for that stupid ass school to get their shit shoved down their throat <laughs> um but look I, to me like the biggest flaw in any argument here and and scotty i'm not even saying that you're making this argument scotty you're coming from the perspective of like what you think the four best teams are what the committee thought the four best teams are and that's who they put in and, and i do objectively understand that because i agree with my opinion on it but opinions can't override facts in my opinion the committee shot themselves in the foot with this whole debate by ranking Alabama four, Florida state five and Georgia six. That I, makes no fucking sense. I, I think that that was a predisposed to, but by shooting themselves in the foot, putting Alabama at eight ahead of the SEC title game. Yeah. And, and like the committee still was able to like say, no, see like head to head still matter. We put Texas ahead of Alabama. Like ultimately that really doesn't matter which order you put it in. Cause the yeah. four teams that are getting in are the four teams that are getting in. Right. But to me, like I, I look at that setup and I already I know for a fact what the committee's w- response would be, which is that, well, Florida State won a national or won a conference championship and Georgia didn't. And that's why we put them ahead of them. It's all bullshit because Florida State didn't lose a game. You already leapfrogged two teams that won or that 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 lost games that had at least one loss on their schedule. You put both of those teams ahead of a team that was undefeated. So now you're going to say, oh, well, now conference championships matter because all the teams that are ranked ahead of Florida State also win conference championships and they're the first one out. But you already like you already exposed yourself by saying, all right, hey, Florida State's on the outside looking in. If we're going based off of these things about how conference championships matter and and historically going undefeated has always mattered more than anything else. Having those two teams go ahead of, of, of Florida State is just fundamentally wrong. And like, I don't know if you guys saw Jordan Travis's like post on social media, um, mm-hmm. but he put something out that just absolutely broke my heart. And he said, he was like, I wish I had broken my legs sooner. So that way the committee could have seen how good this team is and that it's not just about one player and one quarterback. And the fact that like a kid 
a 23, 24 year old kid has to come out there and be the voice of reason and has to get like essentially carry so much weight that he has to come out and say he wishes he had snapped his leg in half sooner so that way a room full of fucking six-year-old white guys who don't give a fucking shit get to do whatever the fuck they want and fuck over a team that fucking earned the right to be there and whether you say deserved or not to me the four most deserving teams are the four best teams the two go one in this one in the same. And I hate when people say that and it's like, oh, you know, uh, whenever because somebody even put in, I saw a tweet today, some stupid SEC fan tweeted out the final score of uh Georgia versus TCU in the national championship game and said, This is what happens when the four most deserving teams get put in over the four best teams in college football. And that's a dumb argument because TCU just beat Michigan. Because in the game they before. fucking beat Michigan. That's the whole <laughs> point. It's like yeah. no team this year is on the level of Georgia last year or the year before that. Georgia's not on the same level as that this year. Yeah. But the distinction between deserving and best to me is such a, a, a minuscule bullshit argument that is fully blown on semantics. The four best teams are the four most deserving teams. Like they they go hand in hand. The rest of it is just a matter of opinion. And we are wrong so much more often than we are right when it comes to this kind of thing. And so often in this college football playoff era, the four teams that make it, there's a massive gap between one and two and three and four or one and two, three and four. This is the first year that we've ever had in the college football playoff era where it feels like all four teams could be could win the national championship that are in there. And Florida State has just as good of a case, if definitely a better case, in my opinion, than both Texas and Alabama because they won. They won all their games. And I just, I don't care about the injury factor. I really, really don't. And and what's crazy is I know from talking to guys who've done the mock college football playoff, like the media members that they do, the way that they have to handle injuries is that they can't penalize the team if a player gets injured in that game. So the week that Florida State, that Jordan Travis got hurt, they couldn't penalize Florida State for that game that he got hurt in, especially since they went on to win the game. They can only bring the injury factor in the following week. So if Jordan Travis broke his ankle in the ACC championship game, they would not be allowed to hold the injury against Florida State. And yet they probably still would have tried to anyway. And it's 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 ultimately like these guys who are so used to control and power not having control and power in certain moments and basically being like, you know what? Fuck it. We're just going to we're going to have the end result that we want and we're going to manipulate everything on the way back to make it fit and make it make sense. And it's bullshit. It's fucking bullshit. Yeah. I, the thing too, there's two things again, one, the committee was there so that in the BCS rankings, it would have been Bama at four, Texas at five, Texas won the head to head. I would have put Bama at four in my top four, but because Texas beat them, I agree with the flip, right? That's really what they're there to do. Let's, why don't we use the BCS, look at it and then flip a couple teams or tweak it, right? We shouldn't be making use it as the, as the skeleton. Yeah. Yeah, right? Like, I get it. It's it's not perfect, uh, but neither is what just humans do by themselves in, in this room, clearly. The committee's gotten smaller. Again, there were some great football minds in it when it started. Like, one of my favorite people, not just because she's on the Broncos now, is Condoleezza Rice. She was involved for a long time. She's not anymore. She's a Broncos owner. I'm fucking stoked about it. But, like, you're yeah. right. They had different people. And now this is going to 12. I hope they go back to BCS. I hope they say the five conference champions are in. If any other smaller undefeated, like 
that, any, so the best group of five team in, in the 12. So in the 12 team playoff, the five conference champions and yep. the highest ranked group of five team are automatic bids. The, right. the next six are up to the committee to decide. And so, so we're going to be having this debate next year and the year after that between 10 through 13 and it's or 14 or 15. And it's going to be the same old shit. And again, this all boils down, I think, especially this year to money. Texas and Alabama brands in the playoff mean way more than Florida State does. They're going to make way more and get more views than Florida State will. And, and that's what it boils down to. In the last year of a 14 playoff, the committee doesn't give a shit. Next year, Florida State's in. They don't care about now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if way more. I mean, Florida State is one of the most historic, like, big brand names in college football. And just, like, Texas coming back and being in the playoff this year is awesome for college football. The same would be true for Florida State. And if it, it, and ultimately, like, Alabama, yes, is the biggest draw. The biggest thing is having angry SEC fans as a whole being like, you left the SEC out is a bigger, like, deterrent for the committee to to leave out one of these teams than to be like, hey, we should put Florida State in over Alabama. And all. it's just everything about it feels sleazy and wrong. And it, it feels like it was all manipulated to, to put the four teams that the committee wanted to put in, not the four teams that are the four best teams in college football. And, you know, we'll see. Georgia could beat the shit out of Florida State in that game. That's absolutely a, po- a possible outcome, right? Florida State might also win. And, and ultimately is we we don't we don't know. We don't know. And and look, I, I think Alabama is is one of the best four teams, but I want to a shout out to Benjamin Walk. Um, I, he's a college football guy, uh, but he said Florida State isn't that great. Pulled away from a six and six, five, uh, pulled away late in the fourth quarter from a six and six group of five team. Needed a prayer to beat a six and six rival three point win versus a four and eight conference rival lost by 10 at home. Oh wait, shit! This is Alabama, <laughs> not Florida State. Let me pull How up the Florida good State. What is file. that, dude? It, I saw like, it. It's amazing. It's so true. Like if you saw, people forget we're talking about again what they have done recently. They barely beat Auburn on a hail mary. Yeah, and I mean if, like, if well, Auburn hey, just rushes, rival. if Auburn just rushes one more guy, or or yeah. Jalen Milrose doesn't make an unbelievable throw, or gets tipped, or any other weird outcome on a fourth and goal from the thirty-one yard line. Alabama's not even in contention to make the college football playoff. No. And and yet here they are. And it goes back to the same thing. I can make this. I can make the case against, uh, I, I mean, out of the four teams that are in, what's the worst loss? Texas losing to Oklahoma, right? Because Texas beat Alabama. Texas yep. is better than Alabama. Alabama has the best win in the country beating Georgia. Oklahoma beat Texas. Does that mean Oklahoma should be in the college football playoff? I can make Oklahoma. the case for it. The first team out if there were a 12-team playoff, by the way. Yeah. It, it's, Which is, that's bad. And that's be, that's because of the one automatic group of five team that makes exactly. it. And, and then Liberty would get in, get the, their shit blown up by, again, by by Oregon. But it's it's just, we overthought it, right? And and Vito, I think you, I feel like we kind of got to the, the crux of what this is, which is that the college to take something, to, to add common sense into what we already knew we're like hey here are the four best teams you know does this make sense is there a common sense thing like hey team a beat team b but team b is ranked higher than team a that doesn't make sense let's flip those and what it's turned into is way too complicated way much more than it should have been and i you know again if florida state as you put it Vito, was wearing clemson colors and and it's during that Dabo stretch and and 
you know, uh, Deshaun Watson gets knocked up and true or knocked up, knocked out and true, <laughs> true freshman, you know, Trevor Lawrence that would or, be something, <laughs> um, you know, uh, Kelly Bryant, I think was the, was the backup quarterback no. then, right. If he goes into that game, are they keeping Clemson out of the college football playoff? They're, they're absolutely not. Well, but also it's, and that's a great point too. Like if this happened to Texas, they'd be like, are we saying they're not going in? Cause they have Arch Manning and everyone be like, Oh, well that's a really good quarter. Like now does the backup quarterback position mean more than, than winning? Like, yeah. I don't know where this stops. And the backup, the backup quarterback who was out for this game, Rademacher for the conference championship for ACC yeah. will be back in time for the college football playoff. So it's, there's just, there's so much wrong with how this was played out. And yet, in my personal opinion, I do feel like they picked the what are the four best teams in college football right now. But I'm often wrong, and we all are. And so at, that's that's kind of my issue with like Scott's argument, which is like these are the best. It's like we, we said that about TCU last year; they beat Michigan. We said that about Ohio State, right? Ohio State, Ohio State beat them. Like yeah. we we've seen it happen year after year, and so many times we have the year like. Michigan goes in with Kirk Cousins and then they got their shit blown up, right? We saw, I think that was in the first college, first or second college football too, right? We've seen Washington go in with Jake Browning behind and Washington got the shit kicked out of him. Like we've seen these moments in the college football playoff. And the thing is, is every single year, the top one or two teams has always been head and shoulders above whoever it is behind them. So when Jalen Hurts in Oklahoma goes to play LSU and LSU hangs 60 on him the year Joe Burrow was there, we're like, oh, well, then Oklahoma wasn't even that good. But it's really not that Oklahoma wasn't good. It's that no one was on the same level as LSU that year. And it it's goes to the same thing. Where But now we're in a year where, like, no one is a clear-cut favorite. And it it just – it fucking sucks for Florida State fans. And if, if it really was, if this was an SEC team, if this was an, a, a Big Ten team, there's no way that they're leaving them out. There's no way. Imagine a backup quarterback beating Ohio State for Michigan, right, and then winning the the Big Ten championship. You know, everyone talked about, like, oh, well, Cardell Jones threw for, like, six touchdowns against Wisconsin the year that they went on to win, and he was the third-string quarterback. Wisconsin yeah. was terrible, like, because the Big Ten West was really, really bad. Exactly. Louisville was a better team this year than Wisconsin was that year. Yeah, so it it just it continues. And Zeke did most of the effort. Zeke yeah. was remember Zeke had like a three hundred yard game or something like that. And everyone was yeah. like, "Holy shit, he is the truth." Yeah, and just just like how Florida State has the best, I think the best wide receiver room in the country. You could say Washington in terms of the whole room. Obviously, Marvin Harrison Jr. is yeah, the Ohio best State. wide receiver, but Texas Florida State too. with between Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson. Keon Coleman's going to be a first round draft pick this year and Johnny Wilson's absolutely going to be a day one day two pick there in 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 uh the NFL draft this upcoming year as well. And that leaves out the fact that Florida State's defense gave up one touchdown in the last 3 games. Like Florida State's defense is as good as anybody in the country. And if you match them up against Michigan, I absolutely think, especially with how bad Michigan's offense has been, I absolutely think Florida State would be in that football game, even with a backup quarterback. And I understand it's not as close of a spread or as interesting of a matchup if it's Jordan Travis, or if it was Jordan Travis who was in versus one of the backups. But that's not the fucking point. That's not why we do this. We do this to play the games, and the teams that win the most games are supposed to be rewarded. It's sports. It's so simple. We don't have to overcomplicate it. And the committee did. And that's that's where we're at. And they took their liberties in their last year and they did what they want because 
That's what it is. And and down the line, it's going to set a dangerous precedent about hiding injuries or lying about injuries. And, oh, well, no, actually, it, the, the injury wasn't as bad as it looked on TV. We think Jordan Travis might be in the mix for the national championship or for the college football playoff if he comes back. Like, all, it's opening this sliding door of shit that, that schools will absolutely do because the committee has proven to us that they will use it against you. And that's wrong. It's, it's, it's wrong. But at the same time, to validate Scott's point, I do think the four best teams, in my opinion, are the four teams that are playing. And I'm very excited for the college football summit for the playoff. I think it's four awesome teams. I think we're going to be set for three really fun games. And I know I said this on Friday's pod, but I'll say it again. I think we're looking more like this. This level of parity is going to be what we see in college football moving forward. Because what we've seen with the transfer portal is that there are teams across the country, your Utahs, your Washingtons, teams that are really good in the trenches or are really good at skill positions, right? You know, they're always like a quarterback away, you know, and now you can get an experienced quarterback. Like Jordan Travis wasn't awesome this year because he's the best, most talented quarterback in the country. Jordan Travis is really good because he's played five years of college football. And when you have a 24-year-old lining up with a true freshman cornerback against the other side, he's going to be better. It's the Brock Purdy effect, right? Brock Purdy's good in that Bo system Nicks. because he's played Bo Nix, Michael Penix. This, I think, will be some of what we see moving forward in college football, which is having a grad transfer quarterback or a, a guy who uses his transfer portal but has started 30-plus games is going to be better. And I think now that we'll have the the 12-team playoff, good things will come out, but we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, I think that's especially true with NIL, too. Like, the fact that these guys don't have to come out right yeah. away to go to the NFL and make money. They're already doing it while they're in. Well, and here's, school, so. here's a fun stash for it's you. Caleb, if, if, Caleb Williams is talking about coming back. Like, why the fuck would he bother doing that? He's going to be the one, number one overall draft pick, right? Well, it depends on if you want to go to I Chicago or New England. <laughs> but, you know, we'll we'll see how that goes. That could be a John Elway, Eli Manning situation as well. Um, but I will say, last thing, and then we'll, we'll, we'll take a break. Um, I was talking with, uh, with Andrew, who, again, diehard Florida State fan, and he told me uh, that according to people within Florida State, in the 24 hours after the uh, the bowl game into the decision to leave Florida State out, over 1,200 new donors have signed up to the NIL collective um, for Florida State. Good so if that. you so there's going to be a lot of Florida State fans, and and Florida State is a national brand. Like they are, they are one of those big boys historic yeah. conferences. Kirk Kirk said, this is the funniest thing. I disagreed with Kirk a lot today. I still really respect his opinion. But one of the funniest things he said was like, if Dion got that job and had this team, they're in. Mm. He said 100% with that flag. He's like, you want to say whatever. Maybe it was Stephen A. Smith. He said, whatever you want to say. If Dion had done that. It's also, if if it was Dion and all that hype thing that Colorado got, that was at Florida State all year, they're in, dude. It's all about the brand. Yeah. It's a great point. And Florida State is a big brand, but you have the 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 buzz with Dion around behind it. Um I wonder too yeah, if it he wanted if it, that job. Acce- he wanted it. I wonder too if it accelerates because I know this has been talked about, especially the conference realignment stuff. If it accelerates Florida State's need to be like, yeah, the ACC's not doing anything for us because clearly that was the the issue that everybody's bringing up. So yeah. why don't we go to the and, SEC? And look, getting out of that TV contract is is going to be extremely hard. And that's the issue that Clemson and Florida State have been facing with yeah. the ACC. And you know, say what you over the ACC, that deal was bad for the schools in the moment. It's bad for the skills schools now, but it's been very good for the ACC as a conference. 
and uh, having them under contract now for the foreseeable future. I, believe, I think it's still like 10 more years left on that contract, which is, oh. which is a, a lot. Um, look, it's college football. Money's going to talk. We talked about that on, on Friday. Like it, if you have enough money there, we'll figure out a way around it and out of it. Um, but yeah, we, we are in a spot right now where we're seeing some things change in the college football landscape. And I, I really, really in my heart of hearts, hope that Florida state, you know, in the future comes back and this is the chip on the shoulder that they need as a program. Um, because I think this is wrong. And, and look, if there's one thing I know about college football fans, they're petty as fuck. And that 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 chip is not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, Go win will, yourself a natty, Florida State. Go beat Georgia. I'm, I'm with you. We we trip. the read option because it's a two thirds vote, and Vito and I will outvote you, Scott. Uh, if Florida State beats Georgia, we will declare them the national champions, or at least co national champions with whoever wins the college football playoff. Uh, unless it's like an un- unless like Michigan or Washington wins and they're undefeated, in which case, but might be might be in tough shit. Um, can I claim a ninety four Penn State title then? Yeah, you can yeah, you can no, claim whatever you want. Fuck yeah, fuck it, Scotty. That's I, always I was getting ready to claim JMU national champions if they got left out of a bowl. You know, I was I was all for that. Uh, at, least, I, at least you could call any you could call a a like big bowl. You know, you could be like we were Cotton Bowl champs. I'm like what? Yeah. You didn't play in that. Like, well, we should have raised the banner, boys. <laughs> Which also shout out to JMU. Uh, they're in the Armed Forces Bowl playing Air Force. Should be a fun game. Nice. You know, like half the teams left. They're starting quarterbacks in the transfer portal. Uh, and they still don't have a head coach. But uh, when that happens, yeah, by the way, keep. I'll say this. I'll say this. Keep your eyes out for uh, the head coach of uh, Holy Cross University. Ooh. All right. He uh, he's he's put together a hell of a program there. He seems like a very very Jeff Bourne JMU type hire. So just keep your eyes out there. I want to mention quickly here too, uh, and we'll do this. We'll take a quick break. Uh, the Heisman finalists have been announced. Uh, there are four of them. We have. Jaden Daniels of LSU. We have Michael Penix of Washington. We have Bo Nix of Oregon. And we have Marvin Harrison Jr. as the fourth one wide receiver from Ohio State. Uh, who's winning the Heisman, boys? Jaden Daniels. I think I think Bo should, but that's I, I think yeah. Jaden as well. I was gonna lean Bo or or Penix. I, I don't know, and, and I don't know. Maybe this is a weird thing, but if you're the Heisman winner. It's an individual award. I get it. So it makes sense that you would give it to the individual with the best stats and disregard what their team did. But a nine and three team to me doesn't feel like a Heisman winner team. Well, there is a precedent for this. Lamar Jackson won it uh, on a nine and three team at Louisville uh, with very similar stats. And actually Lamar Jackson, basically if you blended together like Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow's seasons, the year they won the Heisman, you'd get Jaden Daniels. In terms of statistics, right? Didn't throw as many touchdown passes. Wasn't quite as, I mean, he was amazing throwing the football. He's 40 and four. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, like, but like just a little bit less than Joe Burrow in terms of his passing stats and a little bit less of Lamar. Um, but you put those two together and you have a quarterback who I, yeah. I think Jaden Daniels is the Heisman winner. Um, and I'll say this too, and you guys will like this. Uh, let's go all the way back to 2020. One, yes, oh. summer of 2021. Jaden Daniels, uh, Herm Edwards is the head coach at Arizona State, and Jaden Daniels yeah. is going into his third year as the starting quarterback at uh, Arizona State. And I predicted that Jaden Daniels would win the Heisman on ESPN U Radio. I didn't say what year. I just said that I thought Jaden Daniels had a was was a dark horse and had a good chance to win the Heisman. Vindicated. So, 
Hey, yeah, boy, our boy called it. Yeah, you know, two and a half years later, but boom, let's take that's that. Even more impressive, in my opinion. Raise the banner. <laughs> All right, uh, that's what we got on the college side. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side. We got we got NFL talk. I'm dreading this conversation, but I'm sure all of you sickos at home are excited to hear me talk about this. So uh, hang tight. We'll be back. Take a quick break. All right. Making the transition out of the NFL weekend. Week 13 of the NFL season has almost come and go as we have the uh, the Bengals and Jaguars game going on right now here in uh, on Monday Night Football. Um, we're going to do something a little bit similar to what we did last week. Uh, we're going to start with like kind of the game that I think we kind of have to lead with, especially for this podcast. And then uh, we'll kind of get to the, all the other stuff after that. Um, 49ers, 42 Eagles, 19. This sucked. This sucked a lot. This hurt. I'm sad. I'm angry. Um, and I'm also kind of torn because normally I can like separate like my, analyst quote-unquote analyst hat and like my emotion and fan side but i feel the two kind of blurring together after this loss um and and we'll get into that part of it in a second but um you know to the winner go the the spoils and um and and scotty your boys your boys came in and, and just flat out dominated three quarters of football and and it was it was a lot. So, uh, congrats to your boys. They came Thank in. Thank you. I I just they, drank beer, but yeah, I know. Did my um, part. <laughs> they. Uh, that's all you can do as a fan is is just drink in solidarity in in either a positive or a negative light. Uh, but look, the Niners. I've been saying it all year. I think the Niners are the best team in football. I I, I do, and they proved it on Sunday. Uh, and it sucks as an Eagles fan, but Scotty, your boys did it. So, take it away, my friend. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, once they turned it on in the first quarter, Jeff, I think you said in our in our group chat, like, it's a wrap. Purdy's yeah. back, the offense is clicking, everything works. So, uh, 456 total yards of offense in the game, 24 first downs. Uh, didn't need, to, uh, didn't dominate the time of possession. It was actually pretty split, but uh, didn't need to because almost every play uh, that was a scoring play, except the, the runs were big plays, uh, especially down the stretch there. So, um I, and I love what the defense did uh, in the first quarter. It was get after the quarterback, bull rush the 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 offensive line, and, and really try to establish uh, yourselves in the first quarter. Second quarter, it was eh, let's, let's back off a bit, and they started playing better coverage, and that led to Jalen having four, five, six seconds to throw the ball. But then the offensive line would break down. It can't hold Bosa and Chase Young and Eric Armstead and Javon Hargrave and and and. So that led to a, a couple of sacks uh, and, and a couple of three and outs uh, there in, in the, the second or the last three quarters of the game. So that made a, a huge difference. Um, you know, this this seemed for, for most of the game, even too, despite the score, like an absolute slugfest of a playoff game um, the whole way through, because I, I genuinely think that's what this is. Um when when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, yeah, the 49ers put up 42 here against uh, on the road in Philadelphia, which is not an easy thing to do. They put up 42 against Dallas. Those are the two other teams besides the 49ers in the NFC that we think are probably the uh, the next two best teams um, in Philadelphia and Dallas. Putting up 42 on both of them is is a pretty big accomplishment. But at the end of the day, you guys still have 
uh, are in the driver's seat for home field. Uh, and, and I do think when when it does come down to it that these are the two best teams in the NFC. And I, I really look forward to to playing again in January, whether it's in Santa Clara or in Philadelphia, because I, I, I look forward to watching that battle. Stress-wise, not really, but as a football fan, yes. Yeah, Vito, do you have anything you want to throw in here before I, I chime in? I feel like you should go first, and I'll, I'll you go ahead. Um, look, I mean, look, there's a lot, right? There's a lot to unpack here. Um, but the simplest way you put it is the Niners beat the living shit out of the Eagles. Uh, if the Eagles had gone and scored two touchdowns on those first two opening drives when they held the Niners to negative yards in the first quarter, yeah. I don't think it makes a difference. I, I really don't. I, I think the Niners well, it changes the tone. I, I don't think it would have. I, I, I honestly, and like, look, it's, I'm not even trying to be negative. Like, I just think the Niners were always going to figure this out. The Eagles are playing with two backup linebackers, uh, two guys, you know, all the three linebackers that they had dressed in this game are all people that the Eagles either cut, uh, or no, we're all people that the Eagles cut and brought back. Um, Slay, Bradbury, the secondary, like they're they're not the guys they used to be. They're still good, but they're only good when the when the defensive line's getting home. And yeah. on those in that first quarter, the defensive line dominated. Yeah. The, the Eagles yeah. D line absolutely dominated, right? And you can get away. Like, and that's kind of Howie's philosophy is you build in the trenches, right? But we saw them bring back Bradbury, um, who is 30 years old, and that's typically the cliff for for cornerbacks. And Slay, you know, is still good and still makes you know, big play slight for a reason, still finds ways to come up with big time plays. He doesn't in this game. Um, he was getting cooked. They were playing soft. The Eagles looked scared, but ultimately they had no answer to match up for McCaffrey uh, and for Kittle. And the Eagles are the worst defense in the NFL against tight ends. And in the game against Kansas City, they did a really good job against Travis Kelsey, right? Because if you stop Travis Kelsey, you'll play one-on-one on the outside. You'll do your bracket coverage on Kelsey, right? And say, hey, Slay, Bradbury, you guys need to play you, one-on-one on the outside. You get against... away with that. Yeah, you, you can do that against the Chiefs, right? You can do that against Buffalo, right? And 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 shade safety help out on the outside to Stephon Diggs' side. And, and that's why Gabe Davis had a monster game against the Eagles because it was like, hey, whatever cornerback is facing Gabe Davis, you're on an island good luck. Like just make, try to beat Gabe Davis. And we're going to take that bet and see if, if our guy can do it. And they did for a lot of that game. And they didn't for a lot of that game against Buffalo. You can't do that against, against San Francisco. They tried yeah. to do back bracket coverage against McCaffrey in the, in the first half of that game. And then Debo Samuels wide open and George Kittle has the wide open, right? The big time 40 yard catch and run that he had in the, in the, in the second quarter in the first yeah. half there to go down Coming off the block, yep. yeah. and, which was a brilliant play design, by the way, like I, I was awesome, awesome football um, and play design there by Kyle Shanahan, which is what we've learned to grow with them. But that's ultimately when you have Ayuk and you have Debo and you have Kittle and you have McCaffrey and McCaffrey is the most important one of those guys to focus on. You really can't double cover anybody. You really can't play bracket coverage. And what you need is really, really outstanding linebacker play. And that's something that the Eagles don't have. That's something that the Cowboys don't have. That's something that the Detroit Lions don't have. And ultimately, San Francisco is in a position where if they stay healthy, this is going to be the story when they play other teams. Like the Eagles defensive line is awesome. They're really good against the run. They're the number one run defense in football. McCaffrey had 97 yards on the ground. Didn't matter. You know, because you have well, to focus on so many different things yeah. to stop this team. And as soon as you stop being able to set the edge, 
right? And they run all this pre-snap motion. They have Debo running around like he's doing his little tornado shit, running behind the quarterback, looking like the Canadian Football League, the Arena Football League. It, it makes it really hard, and, and it makes the game really easy for Brock Purdy, who, like, I, I, after seeing Brock Purdy play my team for a full four quarters and, like, watching that game, I'm impressed but I'm not like like the fact that we're talking about Purdy as an MVP candidate is laughable because Purdy's no. been great. Purdy, look, Purdy's been great. He's not oh, an MVP. I He's, disagree. He, I if, disagree. If you Vito rank the best players on San Francisco, how many how many down the list do you go before you get to Brock Purdy? At least probably five. Four. Probably four. At least five. So how is he the MVP of the league if he's the fifth best player on his own team? Because he's the most valuable guy. When he's out, that team sucked. No, when, when, when that team was the, the three, the three losses that San Francisco has this year, because Brock Purdy played in those games. But it's you, because yeah. Debo Samuel and Trent, Trent Williams. Williams weren't in their game. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I'm, I, just... I'm sorry. He's, he's not an MVP candidate. He's very good. And it's he has an amazing been... roster around him, but he's not, it's not because of Purdy. The numbers Purdy, don't say that though. <laughs> Purdy. No, of course not. But Purdy takes them to another level because That's Purdy has been right. able to run the, the the offense but the level with or without if it's jimmy g back there if it's a lot of different quarterbacks in the Listen, league the, the level is still really 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 high who does the mvp get given out by the writers and voters yeah it's for people who need stories and mr irrelevant taking a team deep in the playoffs this is the mvp i'm sorry i agree with you is he the most valuable player in the league maybe not is this no. a fucking story that's going to be perfect? Yes, it is. This is so good for the league. It, there's they're already selling him as the next Tom Brady. Scotty's grinning from ear to ear. This dude is fucking like he's doing so well. Again, he plays just what he needs to do. Right. This is very comparable to Tom Brady in his early years. The difference is no Belichick. Well, no. Here's why. No, no. Just hear me out here. Belichick was a defensive coach. He didn't want the offense to do a lot. Kyle Shanahan's an offensive genius. He still doesn't want Brock Purdy to do a lot, but the design of the team is that everyone else is going to kill it on offense instead of flips. I mean, San Francisco's defense is great. The point is though, the same kind of throws that they're asking Tom to make, they're asking Brock to make. The difference is the players are taking that ball and running 70 yards to the house, or he tosses it in front of them two yards and the guy runs for 45, which makes his stats look great. Just don't turn the ball over, do this. And we're going to go. Be I think the voters team. are smart enough to know, though. Like, and, and ultimately, look, if, if they had won, if they gone two and one in those games when when Trent Williams and Debo were out, then I would then I would agree with you. Right. But at that point, that is such a glaring hole. Like, like, again, yes, he's he's not even he's slump. not even the fifth best player on the offense. <laughs> like, like, I'm sorry. Like, Brock, Brock, again, no, I'm, I'm Debo's better. I don't important. think Debo's better. I think Chris McCaffrey's better. Important. I think Trent, Trent Williams, Williams is, is more better. important. George Kittle's more important. I mean, at best, he's four, and I would make the argument that Ayuk is more important too. Like, I think that cast around him is so incredible, and it makes his life so much easier as a quarterback to do it. Yeah, right? Peyton was MVP four times. He had the the best offense maybe in the league. Even like, yes, when he was out, they sucked. That's but a Peyton, little bit different. But Peyton also was running the offense on the field. Like that, it's it's very different. Like supporting cast is the support again. If if he was doing all the checks and all the the offense coordinator type shit that Peyton was doing, I would agree with you. But he's not. He's throwing the ball to guys who are wide open all the time, and he's doing it at a very right. high clip. So, and he's awesome. He's awesome. Again, I'm not. This is not a saying that Brock Purdy's not the MVP is not a slight. 
It's just saying that he is very good, but the team is unbelievable. And having a very having a very good quarterback in that offense compared to what they've had in the past has elevated them from being got a team that went to the Super Bowl with Jimmy G to now reaching a whole nother level. And again, if if McCaffrey misses a game, Debo, Trent Williams, any of those guys miss a game in front of them, they're not even close to the same caliber of team. And ultimately, that's why he can't be the MVP because he can't elevate them if one of those guys are out. He can't make up for the lack of not having one of your best players, right? Like the Eagles beat You Kansas. don't know that. <clears throat> right. Yes, uh, I, I yes, I do, because they lost three games when they didn't Dude, have they Debo or Trent Williams. With the concussed Brock Purdy. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. You're you're discrediting, like, I, I like Brock Purdy even coming back. He nagged his knee the game before that. Like, I don't know. I'm just saying the body of work over a season. You're going to have injuries. You're going to have issues, whatever. But if you're playing this well against the best team, the best record team in the NFL. He threw for what? Four touchdowns, five touchdowns, four touchdowns, four, four. Yeah. yeah. And four and how many yards and his completion percentage is that high. That's a great defense. The Like, yes, this Eagle secondary, we all know is the weakness of that entire team this year, but still like, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, think I'm not a discred- discredit. That's Vito, a massive I'm, discredit. I'm not discrediting him at all. What I said is he's not the MVP. So is, is saying he's not the best player in football, discrediting him. No, what I'm saying is saying he's not even in, like in the consideration is a discrediting to him and how well, well he's played. Well, then we then we just office. call it a quarterback award then because the rest of the team doesn't matter. That's what it is. That's exactly what it <laughs> at is. At this point. Okay, but I, I'm telling you based off of the definition of the award that that's just not true, right? Is is I, it I would, Does it go to a quarterback every single year? Absolutely. Yes. But I would say what, Dak, like what Dak's doing is more impressive. Like, I fucking hate Dak. <laughs> you know, I hate the Cowboys. I'm telling you, like, I, it's not that Purdy hasn't been awesome. He's awesome. He's he has taken that team from the the CJ Bethards and the Nick Mullins and the Jimmy G's and has been better than those guys. And the offense in part looks better, but also because they have Christian McCaffrey and Debo and Brandon Ayuk and Trent Williams and George Kittle. Like all of those things are are massive reason as to why Brock Purdy is the quarterback that he is. We'll never know. But if Brock Purdy was playing on the Minnesota Vikings right now, right? Is he are we going to be talking about Brock Purdy? Is this good? Right. Like, of course we're not. And I understand those are hypotheticals. Yeah. yeah we're, we're just going to go around in circles the whole day. I, the point is he's playing this well with this team. You can't discredit. He just threw four touchdowns on the best record team in the NFL. No question. You have to respect that. I've so been telling you he's awesome. But my point is, is that like, all right, so let's look at the rest of this team. They won from top to bottom. They sucked in the first quarter, right? They Lane Johnson had one of his best games. Just, I, I think he played incredible. Dude, like, yeah, that, that was so line, fun. To watch Dude, Nick that, Bosa go one on one with Lane, that was, that was so amazing. cool. That offense and that defense, like that side of the ball, was very competitive, very good. The flip side, like we all know, listen, the Eagles played three games in thirteen days. Niners had ten day break before this, right? Like they also yes. played the Bills and they were off a bye. There's a lot that went into this. I just think that yes, I'm giving all the credit to the Niners. They're probably the most complete team in the NFL right now. That doesn't mean that the Eagles need to change players to be the most complete team. If they perform their best, they could be there as well. And I think yeah, that's I'm where with we're you. at. It's these two teams are so good. It's who is going to play their best game when they play. I don't care where it is. I mean, where it is, is what they literally played for probably like potentially we don't even know yet uh, this weekend's huge for you, Jeff and, and the Eagles to play the Cowboys. But at the end of the day, I really believe whoever plays their best game, it doesn't matter the field. It doesn't matter anything. They're so good. None of that shit matters. It's just about who brings their A game when they play each other. When they meet in the playoffs, it'll probably be the championship game, and that's probably going to be it. I 
I just feel like these are the two best teams in the NFC and it's not even yeah. close. That's my opinion. Yeah. I don't think it's fucking close. Like I think there I would agree. is a tier in the AFC. There's like the top tier in the AFC and the NFC. And it may, and then there's another tier in the AFC and there's none in that tier in the NFC. And then there's a tier below that. And maybe there's a team where like the Dallas is there as the third tier. I don't think anyone's as good as those two teams. And and the biggest thing for me uh, as a Niners fan coming out of this game, I would have been okay losing this game in the regular season uh, at the end of the day. Would have been upset today, but I, I, I would have been okay in the end. I'm so glad and, and thankful that we came out of this game healthy because this is one of those types of games against a physical Eagles team where uh, it's very easy to like pick up a major injury. CMC is healthy. Trent Williams is healthy. Debo's healthy. Ayuk's healthy. Purdy's healthy. The whole defense is healthy, except for Drake Greenlaw's head. But um, that I'm not even going to get um, into that one. Uh, but like the fact that we came out healthy from this game is even better for me than uh, than the win in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. No. I mean, look, I. I I don't think the Eagles are in the same class as the Niners. Uh, I I don't. Um, I think the Eagles and what the Eagles have done this year have been has been awesome, and, and the wins and the gauntlet. And I've seen multi. And again, like if I'm going the the talk about when I was saying like the rational side versus the fan side, kind of feeling like I'm butting heads or melding together into one thing. Part of that argument for me, at least, and part of how it feels in that in in regards to that comes down to this this notion of like if you laid out the gauntlet, right? Like like we talk like I talked about this, you know, with Eagles fans and stuff like. Miami, Dallas, by, and then Kansas City, Buffalo, San Francisco, Dallas again. And I, I said like, hey, if the Eagles come out of that with two losses, like that's an un, that's amazing. I'll, I'll sign up yeah. for that right now, right? That's five and two out of that stretch. That is an unbelievable stretch. And and regardless of what happens this this week, that's where the Eagles will be coming out of it. If the Eagles lose, then they go five and two during that stretch. If they win, they go six and one during that stretch. That being said. This San Francisco team in this roster is absurdly good. They they just are. They don't have weaknesses. Their defensive line, their front seven is at a whole nother level. And even though I thought the Eagles offensive line played arguably their single best game of the season in the way that they locked for Jalen Hurts, I think this was Jalen Hurts' worst game of the season. Jalen was terrible in this game. And you can say, Vito, you made the point, right? Three games in 15 days. That is a, that is a lot. Not to mention add an extra quarter for the overtime game. Yeah. And you have the defense playing 90 snaps on a week ago on Sunday, right? Jalen Carter played 84 snaps in that game. He hadn't played more than like 45 the entire season. So they basically guys like Jalen Carter on that defensive line, like they basically played two full games compared to what they normally do in terms of snap count comparatively. The Eagles are a really, really good football team. The Eagles also all year have consistently shot themselves in the foot and they've been finding ways to somehow overcome it. And then we sit back and we're like, how are the, how is this Eagles team 10 and one going into this game, right? How did they beat Kansas city? How did they beat Buffalo? How did they beat Dallas? How did they, you know, in the Miami game, they beat the Shadows. We've been asking these questions over and over again. And at some point it has to catch up to you. And it caught up to them in this game. And Jalen played really bad. You know, I, the running game was non-existent. But this night, it's it's not – I'm struggling to find the balance between how much of it is the rust because I don't want to just blame, like, oh, well, they were tired, tired legs. You know, they, they've played so many snaps. They've played more games, and, and, and San Francisco is coming off of a 
10 day, you know, break, just like Dallas is going to come off of a 10 game break this week. I don't know how the Eagles keep getting fucked with these kinds of draws. Not Sam, good, it, but, but to me, honestly, and this is like my, I don't think it matters. I've been saying since like week two, when San Francisco's healthy, there's not a team in the NFL that holds a candle to them. And they've added good pieces since there. Randy Gregory was in the backfield multiple times in this game. Chase Young was in the backfield multiple times in, in this game against the best offensive line in football. I, I don't think the Eagles or anybody in the NFL can stack up against San Francisco when they're healthy. And ultimately, between Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw in that front seven, the back end doesn't have to be unbelievable. They just have to be decent. Just like I was saying about the Eagles and Slay and Bradbury with how good the Eagles front is. They cause so many issues. And I really do think the only thing that holds them back from winning and going all the way to the Super Bowl is injuries. And they've come this far into the season avoiding injuries. And the games they've had injuries to important players, they've struggled. And and Brock Purdy has looked human. And, and McCaffrey has looked human. When they've been healthy, they look unbeatable. And I don't think that there's going to be a team in the NFL that can that can hang, especially with how weird the AFC looks right now. To your point, Vito, like about bringing your A game on that day, that's true. If the Eagles play their absolute perfect football game, there may not be a team that can beat them, even San Francisco, right? And if both teams played their worst game, who's going to come out on top, right? And you could you could do it from the other side. The truth yeah. is it's going to be somewhere in the middle. And I think the talent that San Francisco has so severely outweighs everybody else in the NFL, particularly everyone else in the NFC. I don't think there's a team that can hang with them. And, and, and look, the Eagles might somehow, if they beat Dallas, come away with the one seed here, but they're not the best team in the NFC. They're not the best team in the NFL. It's the San Francisco 49ers. They are a fucking buzzsaw, and and they are terrifying to play against. I I'm, as I'm, I'm I was terrified that entire game more so than just my normal game day anxiety, and <laughs> and part of that's because Brock Purdy's been awesome. But it's it's I'm telling you right now, as an Eagles fan, and watching your team play them. Brock Purdy is not what scares you. It's everything else about the San Francisco 49ers. And those first two drives, it's like, oh, the Eagles are generating pressure. Brock Purdy doesn't know where to go with the football. We, we, we have a shot. Like, we're looking good. And then all of a sudden, snap of the fingers, light, light switch, flipped. And, and that was six consecutive drives, six touchdowns against a defense that is pretty good. Not great, pretty good. And when Jalen plays the way he did, he got banged up in this game. Luckily, he came back. We'll have him hopefully again next week against uh, Dallas. It, it's going to be hard, man. That being said, with, with everything we've seen from this Eagles team this year, I'll never count them out. Yeah, that's what but, I mean. Like, but to me, that's why I think it's going to be a rematch. It's going to be a Herculean type effort. And the Eagles are bad when they play in Dallas. And if they can come away with a win this weekend, that'd be incredible. But the Cowboys look really good, and I know they haven't beaten anybody. They have one win against a team with a winning record, and that was on Thursday, and we'll transition to that game here in a second. But, Scotty, you, sh you should be feeling – and I'm not doing this as a jinx. I'm, I'm doing this straight up. You should, no. feel, you should feel really fucking good about your team because they are fucking awesome. I do, but we have – you know, we're in the middle of our own gauntlet too, and, you know, a, a tough stretch here uh, to, to wind down the season – and obviously, we'll see what happens in the postseason. Like, I'm I'm not going to take away this win and be like, "Yeah, I told you, Philly." I'm I'm, no. I'm humbled by it as a fan. I'm like, "Yes, this is awesome that my team looks this good." But let's go get the next one, and then the Absolutely. one after that, and then the one after that. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Keep rolling. Free Big Dom. Okay. Uh, let's. <laughs> What's Dom. he doing on the. Fi- uh, yeah. Well, I'm not going to get into this. Debate. Oh, I loved it. We, we shouldn't get into it, but I'll just tell you what. I love Big Dom. I got some. Uh, why Why do 53 grown men. on the pods, Dom stories. Why do 53 grown men in full combat armor on a sideline need a security guard on the sideline standing next to them for to taunt them? Every uh, single nice. team has it. So to ask ask the San Francisco, ask John Lynch that. Okay, no, that's okay. fair. We're, I didn't know not, every we're team not had it. Spend too much time on this, but I, I <laughs> I've gone back and rewatched everything, and I've seen multiple people being like, "Oh, it was big." You know, Bill Simmons was talking about this too, and they were making fun of Big Dom. I'm like, first of all, every Eagles fan knows who Big Dom is. Like, we've known about him for years. He's literally been with the Eagles since the Andy Reid era. He's been with the team for 25 years. Okay, he's been around. He is plugged he, in in Philly. He is the guy. He is just that guy. I like, bet. That he guy seems like who, a South like, Philly guy. Head, head, he is. He, on. Born, he is. He was born in South Philly uh, yeah. and, and uh, played football at Penn State, didn't play yeah, a yeah. game, and then got kicked off the team. Yep. Uh, and we still don't know why. Um, Doesn't matter. That's even better, right? For a security just, guard, is that not even better than playing? It's like he got kicked off. He's not no even like why. he's not even like a security. He's just that guy. You know, it's like he's head of security. Bouncer. So, yeah. yeah. Like that's yeah. his title. But he does so, so much more than that. He's but again, Dre Greenlaw suplexes a hundred and eight seventy-five yeah. pound wide receiver out of bounds. Stupid then, tackle. Then gets in the face of Big Dom because they're on the sidelines. And I'm sorry, like if you're in, in on the sidelines, you cannot touch anybody. Like Big Dom didn't instigate shit. He was trying to get Devontae Smith up off the ground, and Dre Greenlaw, ferocious play. Lost is cool. Done. Yeah. Yeah, and coaches he, and he players plays always, on, always break people up. Yeah, like it's not a new thing. But people are yeah. acting like, oh, Big Dom got – Big Dom I, didn't hey, do – He literally – I'm not justifying it. No, I'm not justifying it. This is for the other people, right? This is for the other people. Big Dom did what he's supposed to do and and take care of his guy and make sure his guy was okay. Dre Greenlaw suplexes somebody. He's on the sideline. He's into the, the, the sideline territory. That's where guys like Big Dom stand for every NFL team – Dre Greenlaw, stud, awesome player, ferocious, plays on that line of like a little bit, not not dirty, but like a little bit aggressive that can kind of bleed into that dirty territory. And it bit him in the ass there. Ultimately, did it matter? No, because San Francisco is just that fucking good. Um, but free Big Dom. That's all I'm saying. Because now it's like the, the NFL wants to like suspend him or something. I don't know. It's it's Oh, get Dom. out of here. Free yeah, Dom. let him play. Free Dom, free the Broverly shove, stand of her way. Don't tread on me or die. Big Dom will know. He, he knows somebody up there in Kensington. All right? He's going to make sure that Dre, Dre Green, Greenlaw doesn't come back. All right. He knows people in Secaucus in the uh, yeah. You, yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to fuck. He knows a bunch like of people Dom. in Secaucus. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Uh, all right. Let's get to the rest of the games here. Again, it was it was a pretty mediocre weekend of of NFL football as a whole. We'll hit some of the big games. We'll we'll breeze through the other ones. Uh, Thursday night Cowboys. Um, fuck Tyler Lockett. The one time he doesn't catch a pass that could have easily ended up clinching that game. Uh, pretty much blew it for the, the Seahawks there. Would have really liked the Seahawks win as an Eagles fan. Um, but look, the Seahawks are in this boat. They had a gauntlet too. Everyone's having a gauntlet this time of year, all the good teams. Uh, and and Dak, look, Dak, Dak's been really good. And and we can say until the cows come home up, they have easy schedule, all the stuff. We said the same thing about the Eagles last year, right? The Eagles have an easy schedule, but ultimately, are you beating the teams in front of you? Yes. Are you beating them? That's why you play the yes. games. Yeah. You play the games. They they're beating who's in front of them. They have some tough games coming up. If they if they get through the rest of the regular season with three losses, 
it's going to come down to the tiebreaker between them and the Eagles. And I do think the Eagles actually, the, the division record would be tied, assuming that Dallas takes care of business against Washington and, and the second game against the Giants uh, and assuming the Eagles do the same. So I don't know exactly what the tiebreaker would be. Um, I think it would probably be the Eagles as of right now, but look, if both teams finish 13 and, or 14 and three, you know, I, we'll see. The Eagles can win this game this week and essentially put ice on the division uh, for the rest of the way. But uh, the Cowboys are looking really, really good. And I'll tell you what, like this, this does feel different than years past. I'm still waiting on the big Mike McCarthy dumb, dumb play game and the, and you know, dumb, dumb call game in, in the, in the postseason that'll come. But for now, you got to give credit where credit's due, and the Cowboys have looked really good. Yeah, and they do it really well when they run through CeeDee Lamb, right? Like, we saw what happened when he got silenced the last two weeks when he had four and five catches. This week, he's going back to uh, 11 catches, over 100 yards. They're running him more. Like, dude, keep feeding CeeDee. And, and, you know, even in these type of shootout games, you're going you're gonna to be doing fine because your defense will do enough and make a big play somewhere down the line. Uh, to, to keep you in it. You got to believe that as if, if you're the Cowboys and then what Dak is doing with CD, like that can go off at any time. Yeah, man. I mean, listen, Seattle's a pretty good team. Again, they're even six and six. The difference is that Geno Smith got in a shootout with Dak's press gotten lost. Like that's what it was, right? Like this is not Seattle's game that they want to play. They want to play better defense. They couldn't against the Cowboys. And that's what, that was the difference maker. Um, to your point, the offense could have clinched in Jeff, but like at the end of the day, Gino out like he played great for what he usually is asked to do. And I think that's a good sign of your Seattle. I think you can still go on and make, make the playoffs, but Dallas, uh, Dallas is a really good team and finds ways to win like this. Even if they get lucky on a player too, um, th- it's falling their way this year. It, it definitely is. Remember like last year, we were still having the same conversation, like Eagles or Cowboys will win this division. Obviously Eagles yeah. outperformed and went off. Same deal this year, but just more is falling Dallas's way than they did last year. In a lot, of but it's players. the same. It's the same story too. In that they beat the shit out of mediocre to slightly oh, yeah, above yeah. average teams and bad yeah. teams, and then they get in games against big teams and play like garbage. Yeah, and look, the Eagles did well in those games, like that they played. They played better teams, but also there were limited opportunities to do that, right? Um, and the Cowboys right now, like this is the first win where they've they've come out come across looking more impressive than not impressive. Um, I think ultimately, like the Cowboys need like they have weaknesses. Like when they played good teams so far this year, offense has been able to move the football. San Francisco, Philly, they've been able to. Other than that, the defense has looked really really good. The Arizona game is a weird outlier game. That shit happens every single year for Cowboys fans. Like that's that's tough. Like that sucks. But. Um, I mean, ultimately, like the Cowboys are 100% in it. And in a lot of ways, they they kind of control their destiny um, to at least win as many games as possible. The Eagles still have to beat the Cowboys and they have to play Seattle. Uh, if the Eagles lose, or if the Eagles win this weekend, the Cowboys lose, like, all right, they're going to be the, probably the top wildcard team. And and from there, they can still easily find a way to win. But there are yeah, holes the in that NFC defense. South. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's holes in that, in, in that, you know, that defense and offense and, and, they were gunning for Shaq Leonard. Uh, we forgot to mention this with the Eagles part, but Shaq Leonard did sign with the Eagles today um, at this point of his wow. career. I, uh, did you not see that, Vita? No, I did not. That's huge, dude. Good for yeah. him. Day late in the buck short, bud. Yeah, no. I, but even still, Shaq Leonard at this point of his career, I don't know exactly what you're getting from him as 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 the Eagles, but um, it's 
sure as hell a lot better than Christian Ellis and, and Nicholas Morrow. Um, but like that would have been a nice pickup where like the Cowboys, you know, could have used them. The Eagles could use them. It's a position of need for both teams. Uh, you know, the Eagles and Cowboys are in very similar spots right now. You know, I think if the Eagles played the Cowboys schedule, the Eagles would look very similar and, and vice versa. Um, because I do think the Cowboys are legit, but moving forward, it'll, it'll be an interesting way to see how the rest of that kind of wraps up. Um, yeah, I, I think Eagles, is, Bills, Eagles, Bills, Dolphins, and and uh, Lions are, are for their last five. Yes, I mean, look, they have they have some tough games, right? And and the Eagles, the Eagles need Dallas to at least drop one of those, especially if they lose this week. Um, the Eagles have after Dallas and Seattle, they have uh, New York, Arizona, New York to to wrap up the season. So we'll see. Uh, but yeah, I think right now Ka- Dak deserves to be in the conversation um, for MVP. He's he's been really really good, and and he deserves that credit because you know CD, as you said, Scotty is is kind of the way they've been doing it, um, and they've been making plays when they need to, and and obviously that defensive line is still really really good. All right, let's move to Sunday. Um, again, not a ton of great games, so we'll hit kind of like the two good games that we had, and then we can kind of run through the rest of that. Uh, Colts Titans Colts win in overtime. Your Indianapolis Colts folks are seven and five and are uh, very much in a position to make the postseason, which is pretty incredible considering, uh, they had the fourth overall pick this year. They drafted Anthony Richardson. They're starting Gardner Minshew, uh, who just notched his 20th career win in the NFL. Um, the Titans four and eight. Uh, they saw they let go of their special teams coordinator today. Probably a good thing after you give up two back-to-back blocked punts, one of which resulted in a very scary knee injury uh, for the, the the Titans punter. But the Colts keep finding ways to win football games. And, and I'll tell you what, Gardner Minshew is hes just good enough that I think there are every single year there's a team that Gardner Minshew could be the starting quarterback for. And 20 wins over, you know, especially considering the teams he's played on, especially if you take away that, that one urban Meyer year, like 20 wins is pretty impressive for uh, the first four years of your career for a guy who was a fifth round draft pick. And a lot of people thought to be kind of an afterthought. I think the coolest thing is to your point is like Garner's doing it. He's proving that he's, he is probably in the bottom third of NFL starters or bottom half, but he, it seems like he's an NFL starter, right? Like it seems like he can do this with the team that, um, you know, will have this, and, and he'll definitely be a backup for every long he wants to be. Uh, it was an impressive win. I thought we were getting a tie, boys. I totally thought we were getting it divisional. There was a missed extra point before they went into overtime. That is all. Which is dude, yeah. missed kick divisional. That all adds up to a tie. So disappointed um, that we didn't get it. We still don't have one on the year. That's that's what this game was to me was false hope. Especially in the AFC South, that's usually a recipe for a tie. Or the NFC South, too, usually is one of the culprits for that. Um, <laughs> no, nah, man, like, uh, to, to like, Gardner Minshew is better than, like, you say he's bottom third of the league. Maybe that's true, but, like, that's a better quarterback moving the ball with this offense than Phillip Rivers ever was, or Matt Ryan ever was, or Carson Wentz ever was. So, like the the idea that you might be bottom third, but he's still getting this production, I think is is something to hang your hat on if you're the Colts. Um, and and even without Jonathan Taylor, they're still able to move the ball. Michael Pittman has like come into his own this year. Like he's been a solid receiver his first two years in the league. This year he's going absolutely berserk. He's one of the one of the better tied or wide receivers in the league. Um, yeah, and and I think he should be considered as such because 
He's he's just that talented. Um, and he gets the walk-off touchdown in this one. Um, yeah, I had this as a lock, man, because it was Titans one at home all day, man. But uh, but yeah, the Colts, Colts are a pretty impressive team, man. They can move the ball. Their defense is getting better week in and week out. Michael Pittman's going to be the next Mike Evans. He, he's going to be a guy who notches a thousand yards numbers. every year. Oh, and you go like, yeah. how? No one ever considers him to be the Tyreek, the Devontae Adams, the AJ Browns. The you know, he's never going to be talked about in that kind of a way. But he's just going to put up a thousand yards every year. He's going to be really, really fucking good, and he's probably not going to get the credit he deserves. Um, I don't know. I, to me, the biggest takeaway from this game, and we've talked about it too with both teams from the AFC South. The Colts and the Texans have hit on their head coaches, and Shane Steichen is a really, really, really fucking good head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, defensively, that roster is bare, and yet, even though they're not phenomenal defensively, they are consistently like decent. You know, like they they consistently find ways to be in football games that they don't really seem like they need have any business being a part of, and whether it's they need to put up thirty eight points to keep them in the game against Cleveland, and I know they lost that game. You know, but that's a game that they easily they should have won that game. That would have made them eight and four at this point, which is crazy. Or you play a game like the Titans where it's like, dang, we didn't expect the Titans will Levis to move the ball as well as they did. All right. Well, we got to gritty it up and find a way to win. Um, Shane Steichen is building something there in India and they, they've been really, really good. Uh, on the other side of that one, Vito, I'm sorry we got to jump to this one because this was the other really, really great game of the day. Texans Broncos. Uh, the Houston Texans, yet another win. They are also seven and five under first year head coach D'Amico Ryans. CJ Stroud continuing to look great. Um, Nico Collins looking like a legit number one type wide receiver. They lose mm-hmm. Tank Dell in this game. He uh, unfortunately had season ending surgery today, uh, which sucks because Tank Dell has been so much fun and has been a huge part of their ability to stretch the field. Uh, to open up a lot of the stuff underneath in that game. Uh, but like this was this was the Will Anderson game. Uh, it felt like every time, you know, Scott, how many times did Scott Hansen say Will Anderson's name on this broadcast? Easily 20. And then made him the rookie of the day. Did they? That's why I didn't watch Red Zone. I was just yeah. watching that. Like toward, you know what I mean? That was on the main screen, had a four bo- or the the multi-box and the other. That dude, that was a really impressive performance by him. Derek Stingley Jr. That yeah. pick he had, dude, the two-handed pick where he leaps up, I'm telling you right now, like I was having a classic veto Sunday at my boy's house and Shane, shout out Shane in California and Julia for hosting me. But we, uh, like we were just having a guy's weekend, uh, like typical kind of stuff, Julia included. Uh, <laughs> uh, we had so much fun just watching the games, but during this one, I was freaking out, standing up, yelling at the TV, just like I was at home. And when Derek Stingley Jr. made that pick, I was like, I can't even be mad. That was one of the most impressive interceptions I've seen all year. Um, he had, I think, another. Uh, and and I think the yeah, worst was obviously at the end when uh, Russell threw the pick. Um, listen, we had a chance to win the game. Um, we had about 35 seconds, a timeout, and, th- and four downs in the red zone. Or in, uh, in the, like, in goal. You know what I mean? We were on, like, the five or four. We, I, I just think, you know, we got down there running. We didn't end up doing that. I understand why. Um, it was funny because I definitely th- was just like, this is Russell Wilson in the red zone. Like, not not like, because this is so different. It's a different situation. It's everything different. <laughs> yeah, right? But you instantly think, like, dude, just hand it the fuck off. Um, Javante Williams was running all over. The line was playing well. But Russell played a, a pretty good game until then. One bad interception. The other one was amazing. 
listen, I'm still riding with them, but you got to give credit to the other side. I thought our defense shut out, like, dude, they shut down CJ Stroud in that Texans offense, who is very good. Given Tank mm-hmm. Dell went down after I- that, it made it a lot easier. But after that, like, I mean, I mean, uh, Pat Sertan, the second went down for a little while in that game. He came back, was not the same. But then uh, I'll tell you this, that Texans defense, I would say that's one of the best games they've played. Our offense has looked really well, like really good in the last couple of games and played really well. And they made us look bad because they were playing better than us. Like they outplayed us on that side of the ball. Credit to them, man. They, I think they're a playoff team. And I think when you look at the AFC picture, like the Browns fading is going to be huge. We'll talk about some other teams, but like, I think the Texans, this was a huge one in the AFC playoff picture. Now they have the head to head. And I think they're going to be in because of this. Well, it's crazy to think Vito, you and I did a podcast. Um, I think, I forget, Scotty, you might've been in Italy. Um, I might've been before that at some point, but Vito, you and I did a podcast breaking down the AFC South and we had a debate about which one of these teams, the Texans or the Colts was going to end up, it was more likely to actually hit their over in wins because neither one of us thought it was likely or possible. And, and we both kind of were like, ah, reluctantly, like, ah, I think Indy, ah, I think Houston, you know, like neither one of us actually thought they could be here. And look, the Texans are in a similar boat to Indy where it's like, they're finding different ways to win. Like on some days it's like, yes, yeah, CJ Stroud's throwing the ball a, a, for a million yards and five touchdowns and looks unbelievable. And now this is a game where, it was ugly. It was back and forth. The offense didn't have their full game, their full mojo together. And yet they still won this game, you know, and, and ultimately, like, I think the biggest part of this and the biggest part of this game, and, and this is what I said kind of going into it was like the Broncos were plus 15 on that five game and, and the turnover margin over that yeah. five game winning streak. Right. And, and this is a credit too, I think for the Broncos is saying like, Hey, you lost the turnover margin three to nothing. And yet you still almost won this football game, right? Like that says a lot because it's not purely the turnover luck, but the turnovers are ultimately what killed you. The last turnover, look, Russ had to throw the ball there. So I'm not even going to count the last interception necessarily. You had to give your guy a shot. They try to throw a jump ball. You underthrew it a little bit. Like that part of it happens. But the rest of it was like, look, this is what we've been saying. Like if if they win the turnover battle, you're, you're likely to win a lot of games in the NFL. And the Broncos were on a great streak of winning the turnover battle. Derek Stingley makes that unbelievable pick. Uh, and and then the other interception, too, was a bad mistake by Russ. And then that's ultimately what kind of flipped this game, uh, despite the fact that it felt like in the moment, like both teams are just trading three and outs. Uh, I will say the most impressive part about this game uh, was about me because, you know, everything's about me. Uh, but I had the at halftime, I had the over under at 42 and a half. And going okay. in, go after like this, the last touchdown was scored in the fourth quarter. It was at 42 and a half and there was 13 minutes left in this game. And I was like, this is dead. There's, it was literally, it was like they needed four points to hit the over. Not a single point was scored the rest of the game. It was one of the craziest sweat outs I've ever had for an over under. It was like literally Damn. The, the, the total ended up being 39. I had it at 42 and a half. I had to sweat it out for 13 minutes in the fourth quarter. Not a single Onions. point was not a single point was scored. So uh, Onions. And, that, and that helped pull in a nice little parlay, a little little five bucks to win 75 for your boy. So that was uh, that was nice. Also had Colts money line on that parlay. So uh, both of those things worked out in my favor. How about uh, got, it? Got a little bit lucky there. But no, this is a great game. Uh, I. The Broncos aren't out of it. I, I the Colts. I yeah. I'm just saying. I don't think the Broncos are out of it yet. I, I really don't. I agree with you, man. 
I agree with you. And what I what Brooklyn I liked showed me something. What I liked in this game um for uh for the Broncos is that they didn't try to to do something cute or abandon what uh what they had done to get them on this five game win streak going into this game. They stuck to what they were doing that they that got them there and they committed to running the ball, which has been part of what what they've been good at. Didn't turn out as well as it, it had in previous weeks. And, and but like they stuck to 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 that short pass game, to Russell being a game manager, to running the ball, to playing really good defense. They did all of those things and just got like one bad play in the end uh, that was unlucky. And really, yeah. so I, I'm I don't take anything away from the from the Broncos in this game, and, and like a huge credit to the way the Texans showed up and played um, at home. Yeah, no, I I agree. I, I I come away from this game being more impressed with the the Broncos than I was. Going not to say that I wasn't impressed with their winning streak, it, it was impressive, but with the turnover luck stuff for them to have been down in that department in this game and still feel like they had a shot because the turnover, like they were trading three and outs back and forth. So it's like, even though yeah. they had the turnovers, the defense was still making stops. Um, you know, a couple of dumb penalties by a- Alex Singleton kind of hurt the Broncos in this game too in the first he half. Did. But you know what's crazy is like that was uh. After that penalty, to your point, it was stupid. It was early, but he ended up being one, like our highest rated defensive player by PFF. Like, yeah, um, it, it wildly like, our front seven played well, back seven didn't, but somehow in the fourth, we held on, man. Weird yeah. game. Very weird, weird game. game. Weird game. Uh, all right. The last of the, the, the good games, entertaining games that we had was uh, Detroit 33, New Orleans Saints 28. Uh, this, the Lions come out and, and I had this as one of my locks of the week and Vito did as well. And Vito, I'm sure you were like me, man. I was feeling great, flying high, man. We were like, damn, we're up 21 nothing in the first quarter. This game's a lock. The offense looks unbeatable. The defense is creating turnovers. And slowly but surely, man, you get up to that early lead. And, and what was it, like 10? There was like eight minutes left in the first quarter, and the Lions were up 21 nothing. And the and the Saints just kept finding ways to kind of climb back into this game. Just one after another, just clawing a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. Uh, and honestly, if Derek Carr doesn't get knocked out of this game, I think there's a pretty good chance the Saints win this game. But ultimately, I think what we've learned is we all want Jameis, but the Saints should just make like the 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 rep count between whoever's the normal starting quarterback and Taysom Hill. Make that 50-50, you know, like because Taysom Hill is just so yeah, he good. He needs to be on the field in yeah. space. So like good. the only way the Saints offense moves the ball is when Taysom uh, Taysom Hill is on the field or they just chuck a ball up to Chris Olave and Chris Olave makes an unbelievable catch. Uh, Cause right now they were out my, without Michael Thomas in this game, without Rashid Shahid in this game. So basically the only pass Juan catcher Johnson. you had, uh, yeah, the only pass catcher you had was Chris Olave. And also shout out to Jimmy Graham, who scored a touchdown in this game too. Dude, right? uh, wild Insane. across the board, but the lions, yeah, the lions find a way to close it out and somehow covered miraculously in this game as well. Sam Laporta, man. He actually he had another good game. Yeah, Sam Laporta is so good. Unreal good. Like, I, I it's so impressive what he's doing. Um and, and I then think, like I don't know what it's the stats it's, are, but it's so funny that like he was a part of Iowa's offense. You know, you know what I mean? Like Iowa still puts out these tight ends like him and no offense. So no offense. Yeah. TJ Hawkins. What were you doing? Like, I don't Sam know. Like, what were you doing? Dude? George Kittle. Were, yeah, right. <laughs> Tight end you, baby. You know, it's 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 <laughs> absurd. I don't know. I don't know what happens. I don't know how it's yeah. possible. That was like that was like when Georgia Tech up. runs the triple option, but 
at one point they had Demarius Thomas and Calvin, and Calvin Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. And it was like, what bro? You're both pro bowlers in the NFL. One's a hall of famer. How and... did you end up at Georgia tech? Paul yeah, Johnson triple, triple option. option? Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, look it long-term though. And I think it's worth mentioning. I think the lines are in a little bit of trouble. Um, the offense, when it's clicking and like they had a good Jared Goff game, he didn't turn the ball over. The offense looks great. Right. But even still, after that 21 point outburst, the Saints made a couple of adjustments and it was like they scored 12 points the rest of the game. Now, when you jump out to a 21 point lead that early into a game, like you can get away with 12 points remaining. Right. But this line's defense has some serious problems to it. And honestly, if, if I mean, Jameis, we love Jameis, not trying to slander our boy. But did you like that tipped ball that would have been obviously intercepted that the D back made an unbelievable play on, but it was about to fall right into the hands of the uh, Brian branch or whoever the other defensive back was for Detroit. And he tips it and it just goes straight to Chris Alape. Like, and the 30 yard catch. It was the most Jameis throw of all time. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know who the, who the coordinator or who the, not coordinator, who the, the broadcaster was on this game, the play-by-play guy, but an all time call. In that moment where he goes, the Jameis experience never disappoints in that moment. And I was like, kudos to that guy. Give that guy, whoever it was, give him a raise because he did like that was such an on point, perfect, perfect uh, call in that game. I, I loved it. I, the Lions are great, like nine and three, like they've they're already overachieving from what we thought. Right. Because we had high expectations for them coming into the season and they've lived up to those expectations, which I think counts as like already overachieving. If you're living up to the expectations we have as sports fans and you're achieving them, that that to me is like borderline even overachieving because it's hard to do that. The defense has some issues. So uh, we'll, we'll see moving forward. But I think the Lions in terms of a Super Bowl contender are still a little bit away. But remember, like, Jameer Gibbs looked awesome in this game. They're still very reliant on rookies. And as long as they're reliant on rookies, I think this is kind of where the Lions are going to be for for at least this season. I think in the future, I still think they got to find a long-term answer at quarterback. I know they're going to keep saying Jared Goff. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe to me, like, it's the same thing as, like, in the early part of the season, we were talking about Jared Goff has the best numbers in football, just like we're talking about Brock Purdy now. Like you can do it with a great supporting cast around you, but at some point when things start to fall off or you start to have a bad game here or there, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I, to me, Jared Goff's not a guy who can elevate it. And I don't think the roster is as good as San Francisco where like, it doesn't even matter whether he's truly elevating it or not. I think to me, it comes more down to like, they have a good roster, but they can't survive bad Jared Goff games either. And they're going to be really good. I don't they'll the win the division. I think this, I mean, look, they, they have a three game lead on, on green Bay and, and they beat Kansas city last night in Minnesota who had a bye week this week. Um, the Lions are a very good football team. They're super fun to watch. Uh, I, to me, like the Lions and Jags are kind of in that same spot of like good football teams. I don't think they're quite super bowl contenders yet, but they're right on the doorstep. Yeah. I, and I'm more concerned too, with, with how the defense looks in, in this stretch because they've been, a little on the on the decline. Yeah, um, that's what kept him in a lot of ball games at the beginning of the year, um, and allowed Jared Goff the freedom to be able to to go out and, and make plays and have those big numbers. Now it's Jared Goff either getting out ahead and and then the defense getting making it close like this one, and then Jared Goff going out and having to to make plays like pressure plays and and bring him up from uh, from the depths. Um, 
or they're they're behind and Jared Goff is forced to make make those big plays because they need them. Um, yeah, that's where I think they get in trouble um, on offense. And and so if they can get back defensively to being able to dictate the game and let Jared Goff play a little more freely, then I think they're they're going to be in good shape down the stretch. But it's not an easy one. They've got the Bears, Vikings twice, Broncos, and the Cowboys. So I mean, you're going to see good defenses across the board um, for the yeah. most part there. So agreed. Agreed. Um, all right, let's let's just kind of group these these games together, and then I'll I'll ask you like, hey, what what do we think of these games, or if there's anything you want to take away from them? Um, because to me, like, I don't think it's worth spending time breaking down all these games. But uh, Chargers oh, want to touch the uh, six nothing Chargers. <laughs> Chargers Patriots. six Patriots nothing. Third straight game where the Patriots have uh held their opponents to 10 points or less and lost, which is a mind-boggling statistic. Uh, Falcons 13, Jets 8. Um, Cardinals 24, Steelers 10. Yeah, that, that one was weird to me. Yeah. I mean, I mean we had trouble picking that game on, on – Yeah. We had trouble picking that game on Friday, the Cardinals-Steelers game. And then, you know, they just looked weird on offense. Kenny Pickett gets banged up. But you know um, what we missed, Scotty? You know what we missed when we were picking games? We missed the James Conner revenge game. That's true, yeah. That's That was the biggest that. miss. And he had two touchdowns in this game. The weather delays and stuff were super weird. And obviously, yeah, yeah. The, biggest, the biggest thing is, yes, Kenny Pickett gets knocked out of this game. Mitch Trubisky. God, this Thursday night game is going to be horrible. Oh, I know. But they brought that St- up. Um, They brought it up, I think it was during our game, during the Niners-Eagles game, and they showed the graphic for Thursday yeah. Night Football, and it was – Patriots well, did you see last? Like, did you oh, see last God. Thursday night? Last Thursday night, they put up the the pictures to pro <laughs> to promote it, and it was yeah, TJ Watt this. and Bill Belichick. They, there wasn't yeah. even a player on the Patriots that they wanted to show. I uh, mean, but yeah, no, we 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 the one thing we missed in that game, and and I said it to you too. I was like, this might be weirdly the hardest game we've ever picked this season. Uh, trying to decide between the Cardinals and Steelers because it was way too many points gonna... to give the Steelers, <laughs> but the Cardinals on the other side. And and Vito, I was saying to Scott, he's, Vito just ran. He had to get food. He's been traveling all day. Our boys, our boys hungry. Um, but I just said to Scotty, I was like, how did we miss the James Conner revenge game? Yeah, like, right. From Jeez. all the stuff, how like that to me was like, oh, done. Pick the Cardinals. Like I easily would have heard that and been like, take the Cardinals. I can't believe I forgot that. I didn't think of it either. And to your point, this Thursday, maybe next year, because I don't want to enact something halfway through the year. But I feel like we should be able to call either team or the over under because, like, we can just call the under in this game. I don't care if it's an Iowa total; it'll be like twenty six and a well, half. Well, so dude, I'm that's the, thing. the under. It's the lowest under of the year, and it's at thirty one points. Yeah, and under, that that day. is this over under should be at it like twenty four. Like this yeah. over under is horrible. Like, oh, it's so bad. It's yeah, what thirty one <laughs> to me? That's stealing money. Absolutely stealing money. Um. Yeah, that's 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 crazy. Uh, so Vito, while you're away though, I did say I was like, we're going through these games. If you have anything you want to you want to add to it, raise your hand and say it. But it's six nothing. Chargers beat the Patriots. Nope. Covered. Great team. They covered right. <laughs> it's it's so bad. Uh, three like I said, three straight games uh, where the Patriots have held an opponent to less than ten points that they've lost, which is just <laughs> a mind boggling statistic. So uh, Falcons Jets. Um, did you see the report today, by the way, that the Jets are now trying to get um, Zach Wilson to be the starter again? And Zach Wilson's like, nah, I'm good. 
Zach, yeah. Zach Wilson is resisting, I believe was the phrase that they used, uh, being the starting quarterback again, which like, yeah, yeah, fuck you. I, I wouldn't want to be the starter after everything they did to them. Uh, no. And then, yeah, Cardinals, Cardinals Steelers. The one game for oh, the have Trevor clock, Simeon in at one point. This yeah. <laughs> they benched Tim Boyle for Trevor Back. Simeon. God. Oh, um, but then so the one game that I do think from from the one o'clock window that is worth at least talking about the Dolphins, 45 commanders, 15. I, I don't know if because to me, like the Dolphins and the Cowboys are very, very similar. And that when they've played really bad teams, they destroy them. And when they play good teams, they've lost, right? They lost to Buffalo. They lost to Philly. They lost to Kansas City. Every other win on their roster, on their record right now is the cheat, the Chargers, Patriots, Broncos. Uh, and the Broncos are a good team now, but we all know 70 to 20, uh, uh, you know, Giants, Panthers, New England, again, Raiders, Jets, Commanders, their finishing schedule. However, they have Tennessee, yeah. they have the Jets, and then they close out with Dallas, Baltimore and Buffalo. Um, yeah, I mean, so look, you're going to know by yeah, the end of the year, <laughs> they could finish out 11 and six. Right. But right now, I feel like they've kind of taken those beatings from good teams earlier in the season and now I kind of feel like they they have some answers to playing teams with really good fronts. I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm starting to kind of change my tune a little bit on the Dolphins. I, I feel like for a while, kind of like how I feel with Dallas. I'm like, look, they're beating the teams that are in front of them. Yes, they've lost to good teams, just like Dallas has. And Dallas also has that one loss to Arizona. But I feel like we we probably should start considering Miami to be in that that top tier because when they're that offense is so – outrageously dangerous and and i know the commanders are bad and there's a million things going on but i i do feel like we kind of need to bump miami up a tier compared to kind of where we've been talking about them for most of the season well they're the one seed right now jeff so to me to me not well not until they beat a good team like they're yeah they're they're doing this against teams like the commanders i want to see you do it against a great team and that will be a difference maker to me listen i'm gonna keep picking the dolphins if their opponents under 500 if it's over, I have to think about it. And that's yeah. how that's the Dolphins this year. That's, that's fair. And it's it's probably similar to Dallas, where it's like, hey, prove it to me, right? You know, like to me, yeah. like, you know, all like, at least Dallas now has the win against Seattle, which is a pretty good win. So we can kind of give it to them. To me, like Dallas's loss against Arizona is a lot worse than any of Miami's losses. But still, yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting. Yeah, Miami, they are the one seed as of right now. I believe if Jacksonville wins tonight, they are the one seed. Yeah. Yeah, um, and as of, as of right now, that game is fourteen to fourteen at the end of the first half. Uh, Jacksonville's trying to go down and score a, a field goal here to, to to take the lead before halftime, closer than people expected. Um, I'm I'm also I'm nine and three on my picks this week. I would love for Jacksonville to win this game. I love a ten and three record. That'd be a lot of fun. But say nine and four, I would still take. Uh, all right, let's start the late afternoon Speaking games. Of real quick yeah. though, what, where are we all at? With the record. Uh, so right now, after uh, the locks, all the locks are done for this week. We're still waiting on the Jags. We're all on the Jags. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see how that ultimately goes. But for right now, for the locks, Scotty, overall, six and six so far. We'll see how this game works out tonight. But is, unfortunately, 0-3 this week with his locks. Scotty's so close to getting back to over 500. He is 14, 18, and 1, which still we'll isn't terrible. Week. It still isn't terrible. Uh, Vito, you are in first place, uh, 17, 11, and two with your locks, but you did miss a few weeks. I was going to throw that caveat in there. Uh, and then I am 18, 15, and three. 
Uh, Vito and I both went two and one this week with our locks. Uh, Vito is four and eight this week in terms of overall. Tough week for Vito. Scotty six and six. I am nine and three. So we'll see what happens with this uh, this Jags game to, to kind of wrap it up. Uh, all right, last three games: Panthers, Bucks. I can't believe the Panthers covered this game. It, it did yeah, feel like annoying. we kind of saw the most. Um, we I, I mentioned it with the Michael Pittman thing. But we need to give some credit to Mike Evans. Ten se- This is 10th season. This is now his 10th season with 1,000 yards. Um, the dude is a stud, going all the way back to the Johnny Manziel days at Texas A&M. Yep. Uh, Mike Evans is, is one of the best wide receivers that does not get talked about. The so, only other guy to do that is Jerry Rice. So wow. That's is that it. Tr- wow. That's the only go. other person 10 years in a row with 1,000 yards. The only one in NFL history. That like When I saw that, I was like, holy shit, man. Like. You're talking it's about their greatest player when they voted the NFL hundred players back in 2011. He was number one for a reason. Incredible statistically. Great for Mike Evans. Good job, bro. Um, Vito, let me ask you this question because you're a good person to ask for this. If if you were to pull up another comp, regardless of position, right? So just any position of a guy who has the stats, right? That could be there, but just never gets the shine or never gets talked about in that light. Mm. Is there another NFL player that comes to mind in that regard? Scotty, I got seems one. To, Scotty seems to have an answer. Who's that? Go ahead, Scott. Who do you think? Bobby Wagner. I think he gets a lot of credit. Mm. I, I view him as the best middle linebacker for the last like six, seven, or like four, six, seven years of the NFL. That is an I- interesting one. Because with the modern NFL, that position just doesn't, not that it doesn't matter, because obviously when you have a difference maker there, it makes a huge difference. You're Fred Warner's, Roquan Smith's. But I think you might be right, Scotty, because that that's a pretty interesting call, especially because when Bobby Wagner was coming into the league, it was at the tail end of Ray Lewis, Brian Urlacher, this general Patrick Willis, right? He retired. Like, you're coming in that, that tail end of guys who are like, and Patrick Willis might be the answer, but he also retired early. So it's kind of Luke Keekley, you know? One. Okay. It's Curtis Martin. It's Curtis Martin for sure. Ooh. He was so good so long. He's fourth in yards when he retired. Evans is going to get very high up, but it's just consistently Frank Gore too. up thousand yards. Frank Gore is in a similar category. Yeah. Frank Gore is another running, one, yeah. Yeah, those running backs that lasted forever. Um, it doesn't happen a lot with corners because their careers are a lot shorter. Same with wide receivers. Uh, Mike Evans is a standout. Um, Kurt, Curtis Martin is good. That's a really – so I, what yeah, I was going to say too, because as soon as you said Curtis Martin, I was thinking Marshall Falk. Because I don't think when you talk about the best running backs of all time, I think you name seven or eight guys before you get to Marshall Falk. But then when you when you look at the numbers and what he did as a receiver too, and like all oh, purpose incredible. yards, yeah, incredible. You know, but you you talk about Barry and Emmett and and you know Thurman Thomas, and you you talk about these guys. The only other one I might throw out there too, but it's tough because the longevity factor. Your boy Vito Terrell Davis, I think deserves some shine in that regard as well. It's the longevity for me, to your point. Yeah, but he he was more like un, he was the best player in football for like two years, and then yeah. basically, yeah, after that, didn't result. It's an interest. I want to think. I want to think on that a little bit. Like, could you say Joe Thomas? But I feel like Joe Thomas was so good that almost like he got shine because he was on such bad teams for so long. You know. Yeah. You know, is that yeah? That'll be an interesting one. Like, who was one of those Vince Wilfork maybe? But they won so many titles. And he doesn't have the stats. Like, that's the thing. Yeah. It's like, for, for the recognition that Mike Evans will receive yeah. when he retires, you got to put up the stats. I'll, th- I'll throw one last one, and then we'll move on. But Antonio Gates, 
too good. Like he was the best. Yeah. Tight end for, but I don't know because yeah. Tony, he was always behind Tony Gonzalez though. No, nah, but they were, but there were years he was still the best. Like, I don't think Mike Evans has ever led the league in receiving. Right. I don't think he's ever had. Yeah. That might be, that might be a good call. I feel like there's a tight end that fits that description, but I can't quite think about who it would be. There's definitely, cause it was always like in Tony Gonzalez, Antonio Gates, and then X and whether that it would always change like year after year, like Dallas Clark or somebody like that, you know, mm-hmm. that's interesting. But either way, unbelievable career from Mike Evans. Uh, Baker gutted this one out despite injury. I, I at what point do we start hitting the panic button with Bryce Young? Do we just call it a wash and say, "Hey, we're going to run it back next year with a new coach and uh, yeah. see what happens"? But I don't think it's his fault. I mean, look what the no, Panthers have done around him. Like, but yeah. also the size stuff. Like he still makes some throws that you're like, like that one on the opening drive that they challenged. Um, that was a beautiful throw from Bryce Young. Like you still see moments. But I, I still, the size him, thing I do think is going to be a big problem. Put him in Detroit with that offensive line and that offense. Put him in Philadelphia with that offensive line and that offense. And he is the CJ Stroud of this, this class. I don't, I don't think that's true. CJ Stroud's the best rookie quarterback of all time. He's already, he's already gotten that record. Like he's yeah. already, bra- he's he, CJ, like maybe yeah, like Cam an arch. Like watching. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. Kevin's the only one of the guys he has so many rushing. But like to your point, it's Andrew He's Luck so and CJ Stroud. Those are the two best rookie quarterbacks of all time. You can throw in RG3 and Cam Newton because of what they could do Big with their ben. legs. Big, Big Ben, ben too, but also Big Ben was also like the Tom Brady yeah, thing where they shit. just Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh Jerome Bettis is the Mike Evans comp. Jerome Bettis is a good one too. Great one, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting I think one. Even Mike Evans is better than Jerome Bettis in terms of I would agree. You know, I I would agree with you. I would agree with you. Uh, all right. Rams Browns, Joe Flacco comes back. Uh, didn't look terrible, but the Rams, I mean, look, Sean McVay is, is a top five coach and, and I don't care what anybody says Hanging around. Yeah. I, he is. They, I, I, it's so funny. Cause at the start of the season, I was like, the Rams are going to make the playoffs. And then I was like, the Rams are definitely not going to make the playoffs. And I'm like, I think the Rams are going to make the playoffs again. Um, that seven spot in the, in the NFC is going to be green Bay, Minnesota or the Rams, and I don't know who it's going to be, but it's more than likely going to be one of those three teams. And the Rams are playing awesome football. Kyron Williams is awesome. Puka Nakua over a thousand yards for a rookie. That that stretch that he had that run, um, it's crazy. I, by the way, did you guys hear the stat about Quentin Johnson? Not to totally derail the. So uh, there were eight wide receivers drafted after Quentin Johnson. Quentin Johnson has a hundred and ninety something yards this year as a first round draft pick wide receiver. And if you look at the eight wide receivers, there are eight wide receivers who were drafted after him who have 400 or more yards. Uh, one of them being Puka Nakua, who is over a thousand yards this season. Yeah. And he just, dude's a fucking war. He gets hurt. He comes back. He gets hurt again. He comes back. He's back and forth in that lineup. Um, yeah. I, that The Rams, I Stafford is still really good. Like he's not yeah, peak but Stafford, it's... but he's still really good. It's when they use the run to open it up. This reminds me a lot of this, like this, the Super Bowl team that they were not talent wise, but like in terms of structure where Stafford's not uh, at, at a, a hundred percent all year. Um, and they have a really good running game that opens up things to get Cooper cup, the ball to get yeah. Odell Beckham jr. The ball to get the top blown off with Robert Woods or Van Jefferson, whoever that third or fourth guy is. That's, that's what it kind of reminds me of. Um, with the with the two wide receivers and and Kyron Williams doing his thing in the backfield and uh and a not one hundred percent Matthew Stafford, um 
the question I wanted to ask at this point, what we've seen out of Puka Nakua and with how banged up and uh, choosy Matt Stafford has been with Cooper Cup, do you, as the Rams, look now to sort of supplant Cooper Cup a little bit and make Puka more the 1A to Cooper Cup's 1B? I just I don't think that's how that offense operates. Like I think I think you hit it on the head as you go back to the years when it was Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, and you both had two really really good wide receivers. And Cooper Cup wasn't you know triple crown Cooper Cup that we eventually saw right the year they won the Super Bowl, but he was still really really you know good when it was him and Robert Woods. And there was all those years in fantasy where they would be drafted like one spot apart because it was like ah which one of these two guys do you like better? I think you just kind of do the same thing. I. I still don't think Cooper Cup is 100% healthy. And also, when he's on the field, I think because of what he's proven in the past, defenses shade to protect themselves from Cooper Cup because Cooper Cup is still really, really good. So I think Puka just has so much more space in front of him and so much more room to operate. And then you see, like, you know, Matt Stafford thread the needle on that touchdown, the 82-yard touchdown pass to, to Puka, you know, where it's just he makes a big play and Puka takes it afterwards. I don't think you supplement any of that. I think you just keep it at because that's what McVay loves. He loves a consistent running game first and foremost. And then he likes to be able to have options pre-stat motion where you can sub guys in different kinds of spots. You can basically run this, you know, in Madden when you would get to the line of scrimmage and you would flip the play, right? Just to run the same play, but backwards. That's what the Rams do playing football, right? They, they, they'll call a play one way and run the exact same play called the other without having to move a wide receiver to the other side of the field. They love the versatility that they get from having two really good wide receivers. And I think we're going to see that continue. But I think because Cooper Cup has been a borderline MVP of the NFL, multiple, you know, as we saw in 2021, I think because of that, you kind of sit back and you're like, all right, hey, if, if they're going to be more worried about Cooper Cup, then because his separation numbers and everything are still really, really good. It's more of just teams are more afraid of Cooper Cup. And they'd rather if like, hey, if we have to pick one of these two guys to be on an island, you know, with our cornerback against, I think we'd rather have, you know, it be against Puka. And if Puka beats us, he beats us. And so far, he's proving that you're not going to be able to do that for much longer. And I think teams are going to start to adjust how they play. And next year, I think we're going to see a healthier Cooper Cup. And we're going to see an offense that feels a lot more balanced, similar to what we saw when it was Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. But it's an interesting thought, Scotty. I don't know, Vito, do you have anything to add to that? Sorry, my hand. Oh no. Okay. Oh, uh, there so, he is. <laughs> I don't too much. I think I think the thing to your point, Scotty, and your question is that like I think Cooper's been on and off with injuries all year. He's still the guy. But Puka, damn, are you happy to have him? Yeah. This offense and the way this team is built. Um, I'm with you, Jeff. I think they make a really good push for the playoffs, especially in the NFC. It's it's a lot more open. Um, and I think a lot more teams are on the decline and I think the Rams are on the incline. So now I'm, I'm all with you there. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last game chiefs Packers, the Packers win this 27 to 19. Uh, you know, look, there's some questions about the, the, the hail Mary stuff and some PI. Um, the big question everyone's asking, did Taylor Swift kill the Kansas city chiefs? That's what everyone's talking about. It's obviously entirely oh, no. Taylor Swift's. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm glad you're Guido's asking important space. questions, Jeff. Yeah, I'm glad you're asking <laughs> Glad we're um, going to get into this. No. But, but <laughs> uh, no, but my actual question from this is, look, the Packers have routed off three straight wins. The Lions, 
the Chiefs, uh, and who who they beat was it Minnesota. They the last three wins for for Green Bay have all been impressive, mm-hmm. um, and and they're playing really really good football. Uh, they say they beat the Chargers. They lose that game to Pittsburgh that they probably should have won after having beat the Rams the week before that. They won four out of the last five. They should have beaten Pittsburgh. They come out and losing into that, but since then they beat the Chargers, they beat the Lions, and now they've beaten the Chiefs. Uh, their closing schedule might be the easiest in football. They have the Giants, the Bucks, the Panthers, the Vikings, and the Bears to finish out their schedule. And they're sitting there at six and six. Boys, there's a world where the, the Packers are a 10 win football team after they were two and five. And we're talking about what the hell is two and six. And we're talking about what the hell is going wrong with this, this Packers team. But my curious, my question here is, is, is more about, is this a win that we look at and we go, Hey, the Packers at six and six are putting something together there and they are legit. Or is this like, Hey, the chiefs have some problems, man. And they are not what we thought they were going to be. And and there are holes in that roster and where this team is at right now, which side do you lean more on after this game on Sunday night football? Dude, I'm, I'm all in on the Packers. I'm sliding my chips up and, and listen, the chiefs are a little, um, I'd say they're underperforming recently in the last even six games like they're they're definitely a little different now but what i will say is that um i think that the packers deserve a lot of credit for the win their offense played very well against that chiefs defense that's been great um defense is supposed to be the thing that travels they scored touchdowns in the red zone they held the chiefs to field goals they're currently a 65 percent uh chance to make the playoffs but what i love is their future I mean, I think fans were worried, right, a little bit earlier, like, is Jordan Love the guy? No way we found three in a row. He, uh, I don't know if you guys saw the stats, he was, like, exactly to the yardage the same through week 11 that Aaron Rodgers was in terms of pass yards in his first 11 starts, and his passing touchdowns were the same, and his interceptions were the same. It was, like, exact numbers, which is crazy. But the other thing is that for this Packers team, they're going to likely cut uh, Bakhtiari, but they'll end up with $45 million in cap space before the draft this year, next year. They have a first rounder, two second picks, two third round picks, and two fourth round picks. This team is really set up to be successful for the future behind Jordan Love. And I think that like right earlier this season, you're like, fuck, do we even have the right guy? And now you're like, you know what? You might make the playoffs. You might not. Probably doesn't matter this year. But the franchise trajectory, they never really dip too far down. And and I think they're going to be on the rise again. And I'm a little pissed off about it because, like, <laughs> fuck you guys. You're just – they've killed it. They've absolutely killed it, um, even through different GMs and everything. And their, their owners are their fans. Like, it's just so different. So, I don't know. Credit to them, man. I'm super high, though, on the Packers, and I hope they go far. Yeah, I'm with you there on the on the Packers. Mr. November – or Mr. December, Matt LaFleur, 16-0 and 0 now you sent us, Vito. That yeah, 16 right? and 0 in the month of yeah. Yeah, December. Unbelievable. Which is an, an, an insane record. But look, you don't know what you're going to get out of the Chiefs in any given week. They've proven that throughout the, the body of work of the season, right? Sometimes the offense looks good, the defense looks great, and they look like world beaters. Sometimes the defense looks great, does enough to keep the game uh, close, and then Patrick Mahomes does his thing just enough on offense to, to win the game. Sometimes the offense looks great. And this has been the trend the last couple of weeks. Sometimes the offense looks mediocre and the defense, which has been so reliable over the last few weeks, 
is going on the downhill on the roller coaster, the opposite way of what they usually do, where they start off slow and then get hot and really good and really solid toward the end of the year. And they started off on that defense really great and have looked just abysmal the last few weeks uh, on the defensive side of the ball. I don't know what you're going to get out of this Chiefs team. I know you got 15 back there, and that makes a bigger difference to to most teams than it does uh, than it does anywhere else in uh, in sports. So. I'm more impressed with the Packers being able to bounce back the way that they have. Uh, I'm more impressed with what they've got in front of them. Uh, and, and again, you see, you rattled off the schedule uh, to to close down the stretch here. That that's, I mean, I don't see. I mean, it's the NFL, and 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 it's it's a a, a middling team right now. So we don't know what you're going to see. But if I'm betting right now, that's a ten win team all of a sudden. Uh, yeah, just the way that they've looked over the past few weeks, and that's impressive. Um, so, so credit to them. Yeah, I, I, I take more away from the Packers winning uh, than than the Chiefs losing. Yeah, I, I, I mean, look, I, I, to me is I always ask these questions, and then I always end up being like, well, it's both sides, you know. Like I'm always <laughs> the guys playing the middle, um, just to play like devil's advocate to get to the other side. Like I, I do think that there are serious flaws with this Chiefs team, and I think Rasheed Rice is is the best option. But ultimately, right now, if we're talking about like it's Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey, whatever version of Travis Kelsey we're getting right now, that's not an I don't think that's enough. And and you're right, Scotty, like as long as 15's on your side, you feel like you have a chance. But this defense is all of a sudden it's like, all right, between the Eagles game, now we have this game, we're having some moments here. It's like it, this defense has been awesome all year. We've kind of just fallen back on the default of like, hey, it's it's Kansas City, it's Patrick Mahomes. It's like, is this going to be enough for them to get into the playoffs or, or to get the one seed to, to make their run like they always do? I'm starting to have questions, and I think a big part of it is like, look, Travis Kelsey, and I'm not saying this is the Travis the the Taylor Swift thing. I'm not saying it's he's distracted because he's always thinking he's he's clearly is thinking about life after football the commercials, the acting stuff, all the stuff he does. And he's going to be amazing at all that stuff when he gets there eventually. But I do think there is something to be said about Travis Kelsey and that like as a football player, he is hitting that kind of cliff that tight ends hit. Right. And it's one thing when it's like Tony Gonzalez was at the end of his career and they ask him to play 30 snaps and he's just catching these, what the couple of, you know, quick little out route, little option route, boom, catch the ball, drop when he was with the Falcons. We're not like, I don't, I don't know that you can run the offense through Travis Kelsey at this point, based off of what we've seen this year, or it's that everyone else on that roster scares you so little that you'd rather just double cover him in that bracket coverage to make sure he doesn't get the ball. And you'll take your chances with MVS and Rasheed Rice and, and McCall Hardman and the other guys on the outside. But either way, Mahomes has definitely dipped off over the last couple of weeks he was having to do everything for them to get them into these games. The defense is weirdly having to shoulder this, this team for the first time. And I don't know with the injuries that have kind of stacked up against them that they're going to be able to continue it. And the Packers are playing really good football right now. Like Matt LaFleur has gotten this team to play their best right now. And I think the outcome of this game is, is showing two things. I think it's showing that, A, the Packers are legit and that the Chiefs have some have some legitimate holes that they need to fill. But at this point in the season, I would not have thought that the Green Bay Packers, where they were four weeks ago, would be at the same level to where the Kansas City Chiefs are right now. All that being said, Patrick Mahomes is still the best player in the NFL. And as long as he's playing, your team's in it. And, and that's a good sign. 
if you're a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs, because I will take that dude on my team over anyone else in the fo- in, in all the football for however long he's doing it. And the best have all had their down years and their weird years, and the Chiefs have been able to win multiple Super Bowls and go to multiple Super Bowls and go to how many straight AFC championship games while being able to piece some parts together. At some point, I think that task gets a little too tall. But with the way the AFC is kind of setting up right now, I still would not be shocked if the Kansas City Chiefs end up going to the Super Bowl out of the AFC, right? Because you're not worried worried about Buffalo. You're not worried about Cincinnati. So now it's Jacksonville, Baltimore, Miami. I still think I would take Kansas City against all those teams. That's the difference this year. I think if it were any normal year where we've had, like in the last couple where we've had Cincinnati and Buffalo and Kansas City, and then add in how good Baltimore and Miami have been this year. Now I'm looking at this Chiefs team going like, you you better hit the panic button. Yeah. But, you know, be, because we have Cincinnati and Buffalo, that Buffalo's more of a question mark. Cincinnati's more a, a, a definitive, I think, uh, than, than Buffalo is. But because of those two situations, I think that you can sort yeah. of bet on Patrick Mahomes to, to at least get there and, and yeah. have a shot at it. And look, luckily for Kansas City, they have Buffalo this week coming off the bye for Buffalo. But then it's New England, Vegas, Cincinnati, and the Chargers to round it out. But there is a world where the Chargers or the the Chiefs end up going 12 and 5, and that won't be good enough for a one seed. And that'll be the first time for Mahomes where he's going to try to go to the AFC Championship again, again and go to the Super Bowl again, not having home field advantage. And that'll be an interesting test for a dude who is is in the running for being one of the best of all time. Uh, and to this point of his career has shown that. So we will see. All right. That's everything we got. Uh, if there's anything else you boys have. No. Nope. Perfect. Uh, everyone have a wonderful week. We will talk to you guys on Friday. We got a bunch of really good, fun NFL games coming up this week. So uh, hang tight. We will talk to you guys later in the week. Until then. For Scotty, for Vito, I'm Jeff. Thank you always for, as always, for listening. And we will talk to you guys on Friday to break down week 14 in the NFL. Until then, take it easy, everybody.